How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, another weekend, where we gather together to just talk about what's going on. If you have anything on your heart, on your mind, you'd like to talk about, please go ahead, ask away. If you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, debate topics, discussion topics, whatever, go ahead. We'd be glad to hear from you. Um... So I got a few things I want to talk about today. Um, some uh, questions that keep coming up uh, about uh, how to rekindle our faith if we're feeling ourselves kind of backsliding or whatever. What what steps can we do? What can we do to rekindle our faith? This one's been asked of me um, a few times this past week. So we're going to be looking into that one. I also have an, uh, a couple other interesting discussion topics. We're going to be talking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, according to scripture. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at another topic, if we have time, on dragons. What does the Bible say regarding dragons? Uh, were they real? Were they not? What does the Bible say? Some interesting stuff in there, so just uh, kind of an exciting one there as well. Um, and if we have time as well, we can uh, look at another one regarding the fae, the fairy fairy tales and uh, what that's all about um and uh, other fill-ins as well uh possibly taking a look at the topic of baptismal regeneration because someone called me out on that in a comment an individual sa said that they uh um they were listening into one of my videos and they immediately discredited me the moment i said that baptismal regeneration is false because they themselves are a baptismal regenerationist and telling me I don't understand baptism and all that. So we may be taking a look at the topic of, of uh, baptism and baptismal regeneration and see what does the Bible say. So we got a, a bunch of interesting stuff there. Um, all right. So as well, in addition, if you have any other comments, questions, issues, insights, things you're wondering about, anything, just go ahead. Ask away, fire away. Be glad to hear from you. Okay, <clears throat> so we wrapped up our study on the book of 2 Corinthians yesterday, uh, thus wrapping up our whole series on Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Uh, please make sure you check out the whole series. Uh, we save them in our playlists, um, easy access, as well as we have some other studies as well. We have the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of John, we got Hebrews, Revelation, um, we got first and second Corinthians, Acts, Romans. We got a bunch of them done, really making our way uh, through the New Testament. And uh, yeah, so our next study, Lord willing, uh, we're going to be uh, diving into the Gospel of Mark. So I hope you're looking forward to that one. I am. I'm pretty excited about it. It's different when. Now, what I, what I mean by different is that. <laughs> Well, for example, when you compare Mark to John, uh, John is just written so differently. Mark is very succinct. It's very straightforward, very blunt, very succinct. It's quite different when you're doing an actual like walkthrough exposition Bible study on it. It, it is very different than the than the other Gospels. So it is. A, we'll see how it goes. Um, we're definitely going to do it and we're going to walk through it, but it's just, it's how to 
flesh it out <laughs> is is the trick uh when when, we, when you're going through so it'll be fun i'm looking forward to it i'm really excited so yeah okay um okay purely says oh good my son will, will love the dragon stuff uh, okay we'll definitely do it we'll definitely go through the dragons thing then okay uh and as well okay tozer i just recently heard his name brought up thoughts on whether or not you would recommend reading his stuff aw tozer absolutely aw tozer is fantastic i have a bunch of his books he is one of the best you got leonard ravenhill dr martin lloyd jones aw tozer jc ryle these guys are fantastic they have excellent excellent stuff uh some of them some of their reading is a little heavier uh than others but it's really good really good stuff um and this is where you, you where you bring in the phrase eat the meat spit out the bones um now you can't use this uh, that use this method eat the meat spit the bones out with people like joel hosteen and benny Hinn or whatever uh, other false preachers people who aren't even christians because well they don't have any meat with which that you would be able to eat of it, that they're false teachers, so there's nothing to listen to. You wouldn't want to listen to them anyways. So, but uh, individuals who are born-again Christians, if they have something that you kind of would disagree with, like, for example, some of these guys that I mentioned, uh, like uh, Charles Spurgeon and, and others, that sometimes they may mention something kind of Calvinistic or whatever, you just kind of just brush over that and just continue on just ignore that stuff because it's not important and the calvinism stuff's not important so if they bring that up just ignore it. but the rest of their stuff fantastic a really good solid uh bible teaching on the other stuff just kind of ignore their hobby horses of, of calvinism just brush it aside so but yeah uh others that i would recommend yeah, A.W. Tozer, J.C. Ryle, V. Raymond Edmond, E.M. Bounds, Leonard Ravenhill, Charles Spurgeon, Arthur Pink, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Walter Martin, Oswald Chambers, V. Raymond Edmond, E.M. Bounds again, we got Leonard Ravenhill again. Uh, the Complete Tozer Collection, it's three books in one, uh, highly recommend you get that one. George Mueller Bristol, Andrew Murray, uh, there's some more, there's Ryle again. Jonathan Sarfati, and he's got some good stuff. There's Arthur Pink again. Dr. Henry Morris has some really good stuff. And there's Spurgeon. Spurgeon again. And we got uh, Halley's Bible Handbook by Henry H. Halley. And the Action Bible for Kids. Absolutely, I, I love that one. And then we got some missionary stories there. Portrait for His Faith, a Harlan Popov, Cowboy Boots in Darkest Africa, Dr. Bill Rice, 30 Years of South Sea Cannibals, John G. Patton, The Bushman in the Spirits, Barney Lassandre, Tortured for Christ, Richard Wormbrand, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, Nabil Qureshi. And of course, we got Fox's Book of Martyrs. So these, these ones I'd recommend. If you want to see the list again, just let me know. Okay. Um. All right. Oh, totally. Totally missed Tozer on your list. Share the previous. I don't know where That's fine. If you want to see the list again, just let me know. All right. So where do we start? I got a bunch of stuff going for today. Hmm. Let's start with the dragons. 
<laughs> I know what it's like when you're young and someone talks about something like that. You want to hear it. You don't want to wait. So, okay, you know what? Let's start with the dragons. Why not? Okay, so, dragons. People think you're crazy if you believe in dragons. Oh, really? Really? Well, the first thing which you want to realize when it comes to the topic of dragons is that... <clears throat> dinosaur was coined in the 1500s as far as i can remember according to the history on that it was in the 1500s that the word dinosaur was coined where previously they were known as dragons so give that a thought uh, that'll bake your noodle so previously they were known as dragons terrible lizards so then kind of opens up the genre of dragon to all the different kinds which we see all around the world of different types more more some more serpentine than others some a bit more compact some with wings some without wings so this goes to show that the variety of dragon is quite vast now when you come down to dragon in the bible of there is a specific kind that god uh, spoke about and uh, would use this is what we're, we're going to be talking about so now my wife and i uh, years ago did a uh, a study for a while and some research on the different dragon stories lore myths and stuff and findings around the world and the one thing we found was that in literally every single culture Every single culture around the whole world had dragon stories with often very similar characteristics. Uh, these great, big, giant, scaled, lizard-like creatures uh, a bit with uh, horns and tail and all this stuff. And there's some, some variation, uh, some with wings, some without, but uh, they all pretty much all breathe fire. Is this accurate? Is this accurate? Well, the thing about this too is if it was only in one area or one or two areas, you could oh, kind of, you know, well, maybe it was just made up myth that kind of spread. But if it was entirely worldwide, every civilization, every culture had dragon stories, that kind of starts to lend to a bit of its authenticity. It makes you wonder, maybe was there something? And then you see the not not just the writings but drawings drawings of it of similar similar creatures worldwide and then you find even archaeological discoveries they find the cut that the clay forms in digs and stuff and people actually this is what they saw so it kind of makes you wonder okay is it true so then you have the 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 uh the real world findings and writings and stuff and you pair compare this with what the Bible says, and then the Bible says is there there was a, a dragon. There were dragons, and the Bible then goes to describe them as great, big, giant, terrible, terrifying-looking creatures that go in the water and up on land, and with the giant teeth and scales and breathes fire. People say, "Well, the Bible teaching dragon that was metaphor." And okay, here, here's here's a question. How come the dragon, for some reason, is metaphor, but none of the other creatures? God uses sheep and lions and and 
chickens and doors and all kinds of other things as descriptions and gives uh, creature descriptions to certain people and things or whatever. How come only the dragon thing for some reason is seen as mythology? Well, because it's unbelievable. Why? Why? Well, because I haven't seen it. Okay, there you go. Alright, so... Just FYI, I absolutely 100% personally believe in dragons. 100%. Because the Bible teaches it. So let's take a look at some of the things in the Bible regarding dragons. Good, my phone is all charged up. Okay. Where is it? There it is. Tharby dragons. Okay. My notes here, I titled it Tharby dragons. Okay. This is a fun one. Okay, so the first thing what you want to do when you're approaching the whole dinosaur dragon thing is everything that evolution itself has ever taught you, throw it out the window. Because if you bring any form of the the false science, the science falsely so-called, this false evolution garbage nonsense. If you try to bring any of that, it's going to corrupt the, all the study and everything and corrupt your reasoning, your thinking, your intellect, your logic. It's going to corrupt everything. It, it, the evolution, it, macroevolution is complete lie. It's nonsense. It's Dr. Seuss, green eggs and ham. So throw it all out the window. Dinosaurs uh, existed with man ever since the beginning of creation. I've been with man all the time, all the way up through to even there are literally pterodactyls in Arizona today. And the science, uh, the, the white coats don't want you to know this. The higher intellects of universities and stuff, of uh, the evolutionists, don't want you to know this. They want you to believe that dinosaurs existed billions of years ago and never lived with man. But that's not true. You got pterodactyls in Arizona. You can go there and see them. Um, then you have Mokele Membe, which is a, a, a which is a smaller form of the Brontosaurus in the Congo Swamp. Go check out Mokele Membe. And then you have other creatures that have been found and seen to even that there was a Triceratops in France in the 1500s. And that the description of it. Uh, it, was a, it was terrorizing the towns and all, all the people around, and uh, they described what it looked like. This large, giant, bull-like creature, larger than a bull, with three horns on its face. What's that? A triceratops in France in the 1500s, late 1500s. And they had to hire knights to come and kill it because they couldn't scare it away, and they couldn't stop it, and they, they couldn't destroy it. So they had to have knights come and kill it. Um, then you have uh, this uh, St. George and the Dragon uh, uh, story of when he was uh, coming across and uh, about this giant dragon thing that came out of a cave hissing and spitting and, and, and roaring at his army and his troops and they had to kill it. And they described this thing. Uh, so all down through history, we have people... So even the dragon hunters, you know, the stories and the myths of how people killed a dragon, the knights killed a dragon. Well, it doesn't mean a necessarily a giant fire-breathing thing, because dragon was just given to dinosaurs. There's many different forms and variants of dinosaurs that were called dragons. So, this is interesting. And then we go down through and we see what does the Bible say about a certain kind of dragon. 
Now, there's the one that's mentioned in Job that pretty much everybody who's even remotely biblically savvy, uh, they know about, about Leviathan and Behemoth in the book of Job. These are literal creatures. These aren't just some made-up allegorical, metaphorical, whatever. These literal creatures that existed, that were on, on Earth. God points them out and describes them in detail. It wasn't just some made-up parable. So let's take a look here. Now to start this, what we want to do is we want to go over to Amos. And in Amos... We have a passage in Amos chapter 9 and verse 3. The Lord says something curious here. In Amos chapter 9 verse 3, And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, Thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. The serpent in the bottom of the sea. There's this terrible creature down there that, that's, a, that's a terror that the Lord, Lord commands, and it will go and it will devour and destroy. It's, it, it is a creature that, that, God, that, that, that God signifies he can use as a form of judgment because it is so terrifying and terrible and vicious and it's like a serpent in the bottom of the sea it's serpentine in character that's what this means so you want to take this amos 9 verse 3 and go over to the book of job go over to the book of job and we want job chapter 40 Job chapter 40, and we want to start first with verse 15. Job chapter 40, verse 15. Behold now, behemoth. Now, just like how the Lord uses sheep, actual creatures, and then he, then he describes the characteristics, attributes, and whatnot upon us. So God uses, uh, oh, what's what's the term? Anthropomorphic expression. Anthropomorphic expression. This is what it is. Where, where he gives us or other people or things uh, characteristics of a creature. Like, for example, the devil is a roaring lion. A crazed roaring lion. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the door. Is Jesus actually a door? Is he actually a lamb? No, but we see the anthropomorphic expression. And we see here how the Lord uses behemoth and then describes the characteristics and everything as, uh, for example, as the ways of the Lord and Leviathan as, the, uh, as the, the, the character and all this as the ways of Satan. But does that mean that behemoth and Leviathan are, aren't real? No, they're just as real as lambs and lions and snakes and everything else are that the, that, that the Lord uses. So now, chapter 40, verse 15 of Job, Behold now, behemoth, which I made which I made with thee. What does that mean? Dinosaurs are made with man. <laughs> he eateth grass as an ox. So, it, so we see it's a, 
uh, a plant-eating creature, it's not a carnivore, lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly, the big bellied thing like brontosaurus. Now, how do you know it's like a brontosaurus? His tail is like a cedar tree. <laughs> so it's not a hippopotamus or an elephant. His tail is like a cedar, a cedar tree. Super long, sweeping tail kind of thing. So what does that kind of look like? The, sinew, the, the sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him uh, uh, can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth in the shady trees and the covert of the reeds and fens. Stays around more like swampy areas like Mokele Membe. Mokele Membe. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river. So you'd have to be a fairly large creature to, to have that kind of description. He drinketh up a river. The willows of the brook compass him about. He drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He's not fast. He's a slow, lumbering, giant, massive creature that's very peaceful and eats plants. That's like the brontosaurus. He, uh, he trusteth that he can drop Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierceth through snares. So he, he, he's very peaceful. He goes through. Nothing stops him. Even snares. He just walks right through. He's just so big and nothing can stop him. But he's peaceful. So that so that we see the description here that, that of the characteristics and attributes. Then we go over to Job chapter 41. And we see a uh, another creature. Canst thou draw out Leviathan? Now, you remember over in Amos, the serpent in the bottom of the sea. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook? Or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put an hook into his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn? You know, that, that, that like, you know, how you catch fish. Can you catch Leviathan like the way you catch fish? Um... <laughs> uh, Will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? No, he's a giant, ferocious, terrifying beast. Will he make a covenant with thee? Will thou make uh, take him for a servant forever? Will thou play with him as with as with a bird? You know how can you tame him like you can all other creatures? Can you tame him? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Can, can you put him on a leash and walk him around? Shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Are you able to hunt him and kill him like are like your other sources, uh, like other people, uh, other beasts? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Are you even able to hunt him? Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. That if you even come near him, you you will pass out and die from fright of him. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Uh, whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportion. Okay, um... Okay, verse 14. Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible roundabout. His teeth are terrible mean absolutely terrifying. Just to look at his teeth, absolutely terrifying. His scales are his pride. So he has scales. 
He's a scaled creature. His scales are his pride, shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They're completely sealed so that there's no way you could even pierce between the scales. They are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered by his kneesings. Now, in verse 18, we have an interesting thing. Were you aware that the English language... Well, at the time, when, uh, back in the 1600s, when they were tra translating the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts into English, so we could have the English-speaking Bible, that the Hebrew definition, as given here to Leviathan, uh, regarding, uh, regarding this, verse 18, which means forcefully blowing air out your nose. English language doesn't have a word for that. So they actually created a new word, not sneezings, kneesings, which, which means for deliberate, forcefully blowing air out your nose. By his kneesings, a light doth shine. What does that mean? When you actually go and look that up, that means sparks and fire are produced. A light shines that, that when he's huffing and chuffing through his nose, there's light. That means fire. He breathes fire out, out, out of his nostrils. By his kneesings, a light doth shine. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. That, that they're that the bright yellow and red eyes. His eyes, his eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps. Puffs of fire come come out of his mouth and his nose when he breathes. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke, as out of a seething pot or cauldron. He his breath kindleth coals. He starts fires. That when he does this, he he starts fires. He, his breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. This is a, a this is literally a giant, massive, scaled, terrifyingly toothed, fanged, fire-breathing dragon. That even to look at it would make you pass out with terror. That's what God says here. In his neck remaineth strength, and sorrow is turned into joy before him. Uh, that he, he takes great joy in destruction. That's what that means. He takes great joy in destruction. He's an alpha hunter that loves to destroy. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. He is so strong, and his muscle cords are so hard, you can't even cut through them. Um, his heart is as firm as stone, yea, as hard as a piece of the nether millstone. When he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. When he's laying down and you start approaching him, the moment he moves, the mighty are afraid. Start shaking. By reason of breaking, they purify themselves. The sword, the sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold. The spear, the dart, nor the habergen. He esteemeth iron as straw. 
iron to him iron bars iron things is like straw he esteemeth iron as straw and brass as rotten wood the arrow cannot make him flee sling stones are turned with him into stubble darts are counted as stubble he laugheth at the shaking of a spear sharp stones are under him he spare the sharp pointed things uh, uh, upon the mire he maketh the deep to boil like a pot what that means is when he when he goes in there's the great stirring of the water when, when he moves in the water it just it just roils and boils when he goes in he maketh the deep to boil like a pot he maketh the sea like a pot of ointment that means he's kind of oiled because he's a sea creature as well so he has kind of an oily substance on his scale on his skin you know like a fish kind of thing he goes in the water and up on the land so so he can both move around and crawl around, walk around on the land as well as swim in the water. He maketh a path to shine after him, show, showing that oil slick that kind of follows him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Upon earth there is not light, there is not his like who is made without fear. He beholdeth all all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. So we see his behemoth is is shown as mighty and and gentle and all this stuff, and we see. Uh, just as, for example, God is called the Lion of Judah, which is a peaceful lion, but is uh, but is def uh, uh, will defend you and fight for you. A mighty like a peaceful lion. And we see also attributes given to Behemoth, as we see uh, the aspects of a lamb is given to Jesus. We see Leviathan, the characters of Leviathan is given to Satan as well, as to help describe what like how satan is like too behemoth is like to how god is too so the thing we need to understand here is there are many many people who try to do away with this as being reality of being literal because well it doesn't agree with evolution if something doesn't agree with the bible then that thing is wrong the bible is true God says lions are real, snakes are real, doves are real, owls are real, camels are real, all kinds of other creatures are real. How come all of a sudden, for some reason, Behemoth and Leviathan aren't? Well, because the mighty scientific intellects say it's not. Well, who made them the authority of Scripture? They also say we evolved from a pool of rock slime. <laughs> They're stupid. Don't listen to them. Dragons are 100% real. So the question is, what happened to them? What happened to Leviathan? How come we don't see Leviathan around today? How come nobody has run into him? Well, there are stories of people meeting such terrible, uh, uh, terrible terrifying creatures all down through time. But all because we, we don't see it doesn't mean it's not real. That's atheistic logic. All because I don't see it, that means it's not real. That that's stupid. That's that's nonsense. There's all kinds of things that we haven't seen or don't see. All because I don't well here's the thing. I don't see the skeleton of Goliath. Does that mean Goliath didn't exist? We're given his description. But uh, but uh, I don't see his skeleton. I don't see his stuff. So that does that mean that he's not real? Uh, wait a minute. I don't see I don't see the staff of Moses. So does that mean that that the whole story of his staff turning into snake isn't real? Okay, logic, folks. Logic. So 
God says, God who cannot lie, says, this is real. I made these creatures with you. Meaning these creatures were made when he made man back in Genesis, right? That's what that means. So Leviathan here was a real living creature. What happened to him? Well, as we see in Job, um, the terror of him, the might of him, uh, his character, and how everyone who ever came up against him couldn't do anything. You couldn't fight him. You couldn't kill him. You couldn't stop him. It, you gave him a very wide berth. You, and anything you tried to do, you tried to cage him in, fence him in. You tried to do anything, he would destroy it all. Iron and brass was like straw. You couldn't chase him with rocks or spears or hooks. Everything just broke on him. You couldn't do anything. And he breathed fire and set everything on fire everywhere he went if you, if you stirred him up. So what happened? Go over to Psalms 74. We find an interesting passage here. The people pleaded of God because this creature was such a terror, such a terrifying beast, such a terror that, that God had to intervene himself. In Psalms 74, verse 13, we see an interesting passage. So we have Amos 9.3 describing this creature as being a, a, the, something that lives in the bottom of the sea. Some people call it the Kraken. Some people call it the sea beast. The Bible calls it Leviathan. The Kraken is Leviathan. FYI. So in Psalm 74 verse 13, Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength, Thou, God, thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. God himself wiped out the Leviathan dragons. Because they were so terrifying, so terrible, they're unstoppable, that God intervened and destroyed Leviathan. And as it says, he broke their heads and gave them to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. That's what it says. That's what it says. That is, cleave the fountain and the flood that, that driest up mighty rivers. It, they're going on describing the mighty things that God did. Uh, how he fought for the people and the mighty, mighty uh, the aspects of God and what he did and what he achieved and how he helped, how he provided, and how he guided and and all this and and in the midst of all these things of the mighty things that God did, you parted the sea and you 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 dried up the rivers, to, the part of the re the Red Sea. He parted the River Jordan and he did all these things and you also killed Leviathan. Why is that not true? Well, it is true because that's what he did. So we see Amos 9.3 describing Leviathan and he lived in the bottom of the sea and, and Job 41, how he came up on land. We get a full description of what Leviathan looked like. And we see in Psalms 74 verses 13 to 14, how God wiped out Leviathan as he helped protect and provide and, and, and uh, guide the people. This is one of the things he did it to achieve that. 
he God killed Leviathan and dispersed the meat to the people. Uh, he killed it and they came and they uh, sca uh, they scavenged uh, the body and they took the meat and there you go Leviathan is ended. So this is so this is Psalm seventy four written by uh, uh, King David. Uh, and so this is going back long before King David. So if people in the wilderness, so this means that this is something that happened uh, during the time uh, when Israel was wandering in the wilderness this is one of the things that happened. And it's written down by David in Psalm 74. That's interesting. So it gives you something to think about. So dragons were just different kinds of dinosaurs. And we see in the Bible, the description of one of these dinosaur types, which is a giant scaled fire breathing dragon. Now, of course, we know Hollywood loves to blow it out of proportion. They like to design up all different kinds of things. But if we take a look at the actual uh, artistic expressions all around the world, we can kind of get a base idea of what it was like. Now, the Bible calls it serpentine. So it had kind of that long serpentine-like body, you know, kind of like the Chinese dragon, as they portray it, the sea dragon kind of thing, but it also would come up on land. It was scaled, and it breathed fire. That's what the Bible says. What you think? I find it really exciting. And people will look at you nuts like, oh, you believe in dragons and unicorns. Oh, you know, unicorns are real too, right? Unicorns are 100% real. Not the rainbow flying horse thing that Hollywood likes to uh, portray. But we see in, in the Bible, it talks about the unicorn, which is a mighty beast with a mighty horn. And, and it's a very powerful creature. And then we see they discovered it years ago. Uh, they dug one up in Siberia, the Siberian unicorn, which is uh, where unicorn, which means single horned, and the Latin is monoceros, monoceros, single horned rhinoceros. And they dug one up in Siberia. It's a giant, massive thing, like nearly the size of an elephant. Of a, of a now extinct single-horned woolly rhinoceros. That's what it was. That's what the unicorn was. So, there you go. So you you believe in dragons and unicorns and talking snakes? Actually, no. I did a video on that one. No, there was no such thing as a talking snake. That was actually Lucifer. And I did a whole video on that explaining that one. So there's a lot of interesting stuff in the Bible there. And we got to be careful about reading the Bible with skepticism. When you're reading the Bible with skepticism, that means that you are interpreting the Bible from the lens of the unbelievers. People who believe that you evolved from a pool of rock slime 100 billion years ago. And they don't believe in the supernatural. They don't believe in the spiritual. They only believe in the physical. And they're trying to figure out existence without God. And anything that doesn't line up with their idea of evolutionary science, they just discredit it. So don't read the Bible through the lens of the unbelievers. God says these things are real. He made them. He made them with us. The, the dinosaurs were with man all down through time. And the and the enemy is just trying to cover it up and excuse it away. So dragons are real. Dragons are real. 
fire-breathing dragons are real. It's really cool. That's really awesome. So there you go. If you have any comments, questions, issues, insights on that one, please go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. Okay. Um, going down through the comments here. Purely says, I got my George Mueller autobiography. Awesome. I uh, already don't want to put it down. Can't wait to see what God does next on chapter seven. Uh, that's awesome. Okay, Pure says, cedar tree tail. Doesn't get much more clear than that. Exactly. We know exactly what it was. When you hear that, you hear the kind of the brachiosaur, the brontosaur kind of idea of creature. What look, it talks about the big navel belly, the big belly with the big long tail. And it was huge and it it's gentle and it lives in swampy areas and drinks up rivers. Okay, you can kind of get an idea of what it very well may have been. So there you go. So yeah, kind of like uh, the creature that is portrayed in Jurassic Park, the movie Jurassic Park. Uh, that kind of a creature is what the Bible's describing. So there you go. Um, okay, Nicholas says, is there resources where I can find more info on the pterodactyls and triceratops living with us today? Uh, I don't know much about the Triceratops with us today. Uh, as far as I know, the last written record, and I came across this uh, several years ago uh, of an article uh, I found when I was researching the dragon thing, uh, of a paper, uh, documentation written about uh, the, in France in the 1500s, they found a Triceratops. Um, I'm not sure where that article is. I'm sure if you go search it, you can, might find it. It's some, it was around in the late 1500s in France. There's They even named the town after that beast. And it was a giant bull-like creature with three horns on its face. Uh, a mighty thing terrorizing the town. And it, they named the town in the French word for dragon, whatever that was. Um, but yeah, though, there are tons of reports of the pterodactyls in Arizona, tons of reports. You go Google that up and you start looking into it. You'll find all kinds of stuff. And the atheists are all over that and calling it fake and bogus. And they're trying to, they're trying to expose it as lies or anything because they don't want to believe that it's possible. But if you actually go and look at the, all the stuff that they're finding of the dinosaur footprints with human footprints in the dinosaur footprints preserved, I mean, there's so much evidence of this, but the atheists and the unbelievers and the evolutionists are doing everything they can to try to, to try to push it down, squash it, deny it, call it lies and everything else and fraud. You're going to, you're going to be swamped with all kinds of the stuff from the deniers, but you see what the Bible says, why is it so hard to believe that these creatures are with us today? Why is it so hard? Because the evolutionary intellectuals say it's not possible. Who made them the arbiters of truth? So, what does the Bible say? Okay. Um, if you want to know more about that kind of stuff as well, I have a whole playlist. Um archaeological discoveries that prove the bible true that's what the playlist is called proving the bible true proving the bible true um and uh, there's a bunch of different videos and all kinds of archaeological discoveries and scientific discoveries all kinds of other stuff that that, that kind of back this up um also i have saved i believe i have saved i believe i have saved in the playlist the creation seminar with kent hovind 
where he walks you through uh, the creation account and dinosaurs, all this stuff. And he has tons and tons and tons of sources and stuff that he provides. And he shows you um, to, to prove these points as well. He, he also does a talk on um, the dragons and the T-Rex and Mokele Membe and all this other stuff. And he'll show you all the resources and stuff. So check that out. The creation seminar with Kent Hoven. We have the playlist on our channel. Um, check that out. Okay, so there you go. That's pretty cool stuff. I, I, I love these kinds of things. Really neat. <clears throat> and, uh, okay, so Purely says, do you have a favorite Bible verse? Well, what comes to mind, and I even have it, well, not on this bracelet, but I have it on my other uh, bracelet. We have, we have these available on our on our Etsy shop. And this is the, the special limited time one, the blue with the yellow lettering, Jesus Christ is God. And then we see Christian coffee time on there. Then we have the brown one on there. It says a Christian coffee time. And on the other side, uh, uh, for first John five twenty. And so first John five twenty is pretty much the, the, the go-to main verse of Christian coffee time. Uh, that's the one that, uh, means, uh, the most to me is it is it really sums up the whole point of CCT and what we try to do is prove the the reality of Jesus Christ. First John five twenty is one of my top favorite Bible verses. First John five twenty, and we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true even in his son jesus christ this is the true god and eternal life son of god has come to give us an understanding that we can be in him that is true jesus christ the true god and eternal life <laughs> i mean the, the entire gospel and the deity of jesus christ summed up in one verse there you go <laughs> all right there we go um Okay, so that comes to. Oh, okay, Vools says, "Hi everyone. If you want resources on pterodactyls, triceratops, etc., living today, I highly recommend you specifically ask a reference lib. Ask a reference librarian at the library; they will help you." Yeah, sure. Okay, all kinds of books and stuff that that have records and stuff on this. Um, there are all kinds of resources and written, documented reports. Uh, back in the 1800s, um, during uh, during and after the Civil War, uh, we see. Was it 1800s? I'm sorry, I'm not the best with U.S. history, <laughs> but it was around that time in the 1800s. We see we see pictures even of people uh, uh, holding up pterodactyls that they shot down. They took photos of it. And, and they describe it in detail what it was like at the atheist say well it was all fake all fraud and they make up lies all kinds of things to get to, to do away with it because they don't want you to know the truth that these things are real but yeah it's all kinds and they're from the natives uh the natives in arizona that they, they swear it Ab yes absolutely these are real they've always been this is how it always is to even down in the time of the aztecs in the in central america the Aztecs and the Incans, uh, actually, they had uh, a, a creature 
that was like a, one of those i forget the name of it there was this one there was the pterodon maybe i think it was the pterodon it was this huge pterodactyl thing that that was feathered and everything and uh, it had the huge uh, beak and everything it was a giant massive jumbo pterodactyl they named it after one of their gods and they worshiped the thing because it was so terrifying it was a huge thing that would even come and uh, swoop down and take away people it is crazy but these things are all around the world and the evolutionist says no no it wasn't but history archaeology proven documentation and the bible all say yes it was real so who are you gonna believe that's up to you all right now let's take a look at another topic all right, so this one's come up a few times, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit yesterday, uh, but mentioning about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, there are people who deny the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. They say when he, when Jesus Christ comes again, it's there. There is no such thing as the millennial reign. You know, the the amillennialist, the amillennialist. Um, they they say there is no physical reign of Jesus on the earth. That doesn't happen. It's not real. And then they preach a millennialism. Now, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible actually say? See, this is what happens when you don't properly cross-reference and study the Bible. You can be led into all kinds of error and all kinds of false beliefs and all kinds of nonsense. And this is where you see a wide diversity of doctrinal standings at different denominations or whatever, or people, groups, or whatever. But what does the Bible say on this? Now, it starts here with Revelation chapter 20. This is where we see the mention of it, uh, was where a lot of people talk about it in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1, 1 to uh, 3, where the Lord comes down and he binds Satan. He gives an angel the, the, the charge and the angel takes a chain and, and binds Satan and the Lord casts Satan into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Okay, so let's read um, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So you see how... How how uh, the the character of the beast Leviathan is also given in attributes of character to Lucifer, as Lucifer is called that dragon, that evil beast, that serpent uh, that loves violence, loves destruction. So yeah. And that, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a, a little season. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and the worship and the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given. 
and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. Okay. What does the Bible say in addition to this? So let's go back to the book of Isaiah. And we see a prophecy. The prophecy of Isaiah. And we want chapter 2. And, okay, so what? Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. And it shall come to pass in the last days. There's the prophecy of Isaiah regarding the end of days, the last days. Okay. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, Zion, Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, where the temple is, shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye, let us go up into the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we shall walk in his paths. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and they taught the people and they reigned with Christ a thousand years in Jerusalem. He will teach us of his ways and we, we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. This is the time of peace during the millennial reign. They beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Because the enemy, Satan, is bound upon his pit. And there's no war, violence, and, and evil upon the earth anymore. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they, they learn war anymore. Okay. Next, we want to go over to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, and we want verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. The dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountains, saith the Lord. Okay. Next, we want to go over to Zechariah. All right, we want to go to Zechariah. And we want chapter 8, verse 3. Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And what chapter 14, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof. See, this is when the Lord comes down, he descends upon the Mount of Olives, and it splits in half. The Mountain of Olives splits in half, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall, shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Okay. And we want uh, verse 16 of chapter 14. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall, shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll go up to uh, to to visit and spend time and worship the lord in jerusalem he will land uh, uh, he'll come down land on the mountain it'll split in half he goes into the city 
Satan is bound, cast in the bottomless pit. The Lord sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem for the thousand years, and all the people of the earth will come up to see Jesus. That's what it says. But wait, there's more. Let's go over to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all those kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. None, none is able to destroy the kingdom of God. That will be set up. So, Because uh, uh, this is referring to after Satan is let out of the pit, after the thousand years, he goes and deceives the nations and brings the armies of the earth against Jerusalem, but then the Lord destroys them. Jerusalem is preserved. That's what that means. And then we want Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And I saw in the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And, oh, and, and verse 14, my bad, I'm sorry. Let's start over. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like a son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him, him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Okay, so there we go. And one more. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. Verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion shall serve and obey him. Okay. So we see the prophecies. The prophecies of Isaiah, Zechariah, and Daniel. Comparing with the writings of the Apostle John and Revelation in the end of days. So the Bible, so the Bible what it says here, I'm going to ask you folks what I presented here. Does the Bible teach a physical millennial reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth for the thousand years? Does it say that? Does the Bible teach that? You compare what it talks about. And the Lord comes down, binds Satan for the thousand years, and he reigns on earth for a thousand years with his saints in Jerusalem. And all the people will come to worship him, come to serve him. This is what it says. So there you go. So there are people who try to deny and say, oh, no, it's not a millennium is true. No, no, no. The Bible teaches otherwise that the millennial reign of Jesus Christ is 100% real and it's physical and will be on earth for a thousand years. So. There you go. Okay. And all right. Uh, any other comments, questions, issues, insights on that? If you want to know more about the book of Revelation and the end of days and that kind of stuff, we have a whole Bible study series uh, done up. We have a playlist on the book of Revelation, and it's, and it's given by Pastor Paul. He's an excellent scholar and theologian regarding 
uh, uh, the uh, Book of Revelation is a specialist in, in this, and he does a, a great series where he walks you through every verse, they go all the way through, and he shows you all this stuff, what the Bible teaches, and he and that combines it with the prophecies and everything. It's an incredible study. Uh, the Book of Revelation series, highly recommend you check it out. Um, yeah, so there you go. Make sure to bring your notebook. There's a lot of information he brings up. Okay. Um, okay. With that. Okay, we're going to move over to a, stu a study here. Now, the question that was brought up to me a while ago, uh, a few times this past week, is, okay, what about... Okay, we talk about revival. We talk about serving the Lord. We talk about repentance, all this, but what can I do to rekindle my faith? I feel like my faith is drying up. My faith is kind of getting weak, all this. What can I do to rekindle my faith? Well, it's kind of um, tied up in the wording of the very question. Rekindle my faith. Okay, what is... We have to ask the question, what is the faith? What is the faith? Well, the faith is Christianity. What does that mean? What does Christianity mean? Oh, Christianity. Now, this is this means the way of Christ. As Christian is servant of Christ, disciple of Christ. So it's the ways of Christ, disciple of Christ. So it's the faith is Jesus Christ. Okay, so what can I do to rekindle my faith in Christ? Okay, it's more than that. More than that. It's more than just rekindle my desire of Christianity religion. It's so much more than that. The faith is following Jesus Christ. Like, you, For example, you see the disciples in the Gospels that followed Jesus. Literally, physically. Okay, so the idea here is to rekindle not just your servitude of carrying out the physical acts of your belief, but rather is your, your understanding of the very person of Jesus Christ. So what you're literally describing is that you are drying up, becoming apathetic, of your relationship with the very person of Jesus Christ. So what what do you do? What do you do to rekindle a relationship with a person? What do you do? Well, let's say your your relationship with your spouse is kind of getting stagnant. What would you do to spice up, to rekindle the love, the fire, and, 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 and the passion with each other? What would you do? You go out of your way to spend more time with them, to talk with them, to be with them, do stuff with them. Okay, how can I do that with the person of Jesus Christ? Well, a relationship is a two-way part. Now, we understand as Scripture teaches that God is faithful to us even if we're not faithful, but He'll never cast you away. But the point is, is that it takes it takes two people to build a relationship. So, we see, the, see God is doing His part. Are we doing our part to make it a loving, zealous, passionate relationship? 
are you spending quality time with Jesus Christ, with the person of Christ? Are you talking with him, spending time with him? Are you involving him in your life and the things that you do? Are you, are, what are you doing to help your relationship with the person of Jesus Christ? So, here, so here's one thing. How can you develop a relationship with a person if you don't really know the person? Now, you're told the name of the person. You're told roughly what the person did for you. And you believe in this person, in the Lord Jesus. But do you really know him? Do you know his attributes, his characteristics. Do you do you know his behavior? Do you know do do you know his his quirks? And do you know his his demeanor? Do you know his humor? Do you get to know him intimately in that you you see the very movements of his face, the way he talks, the way the way he carries himself? Do you see the calluses on his hands as he's a carpenter? Do you get to know him in detail? Now, how can you know this? By the Gospels. Especially the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John walks you through the, the, the life and the ministry and the person of Jesus Christ in such a way that you get to know Jesus Christ as well as you would know, uh, know your best friend, uh, here on earth the way that john walks you through and, and it describes you get to see the humor and the passion and the person and the character and the behavior the attributes everything about jesus and it draws you that much closer to him it makes it makes the faith if i could say more real where it's more than just words on a page you see, it's describing not just someone who was, someone who is. This is God Almighty himself in flesh and blood. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Christ. And he's, he's alive today. He's real today. He's with us today. He's 100% real. Do you know him? Do you know him as a person? Or do you just know him in, in means of religiosity? Do you know him as real person? Someone who went to the parties and the banquets and the dinners and he sat down with people and talked with them and laughed with them and, and instructed them. And he, the, the person who... who who braided a whip and drove out the money changers, flipped the tables and then taught the people, the man who, who walked and talked and was with, the God who healed, who showed, who, who protected, who provided, the person, the, the man God, the God man, Jesus, who was beaten and whipped and crucified, buried, rose again, Taught, taught his disciples and ascended up on high and said he's coming again. The same person who says, uh, as I uh, says, uh, uh, I will come again. And he descends down the Mount of Olives. His feet touch 
the mountain. It splits in half and he goes into Jerusalem and we will reign with him for a thousand years. This is 100% real. This is as real as the dragons are real. This is as real as, uh, as the behemoth is real. This is as real as everything else is real. That From the creation account, all the way up the prophets uh, and the prophetesses and Moses and Elijah and Daniel all the way up through and we see the gospels all the way up through to the end of times the tribulation. It's all 100% real. This is real history. Real documentation. This is real life this is reality this is reality not with the evolutionists not with the with the with the godless and the heathens not what the atheists tell you not no not what other other people are trying to describe for you this is 100 real literal history not just history but present day fact present day fact Jesus is present day, present day fact. When you call upon him and he answers your prayers, what is that? That's him interacting with you. Like you would go and ask, when you're a child, you would go and ask your parents and your parents would respond and they provide for you. Our father, you go to him as, as his child, you ask of him, he provides for you taking it seriously taking the faith so seriously did not that the growing growing dry and tired of jesus is is literally the equivalent in the same aspect of of a child growing tired and dry of their parents you ask the question what can i do to rekindle my passion with jesus or what do you do to rekindle your passion with your best friend with your spouse with your family what do you do He's a person. He's a person who is grieved when you ignore him. He's a person who, who has emotions. He has emotions. He, God gets angry. He gets sad. He's happy. He laughs. He has emotions. He has characteristics, attributes. He has behavior. He's a very real, live person. God gets offended. He gets pleased. He gets angry with the wicked. He rejoices with the saints. He shakes with anger when the wicked attack his children and he comes down with a vengeance upon them. He's a very real, live, living person. So what can I do to rekindle my relationship with a very real, live, living person. The person of Jesus Christ. What can I do to rekindle my passion, my zealousness, my desire, my faith in Him? You go to them, you introduce yourself, and you spend time with them. Okay, so if you only met a person... If you only met a person one day a week how would you describe that relationship eh, an acquaintance an acquaintance let's say a person you meet this person two three times a week well how would you describe that relationship well it's more than just an acquaintance uh, uh, maybe, maybe even saying this, it's a person you like on stuff. Maybe a friend. 
Okay, what about someone you meet them several times a week? A close friend? A close friend? Okay, well, what about a person that you 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 meet, you know, every day, every day, you spend time with them every day, and you love them? How would you describe that relationship? Okay, now, what kind of description would you give to your relationship with Jesus? How would you describe your relationship with Jesus? Honestly, sincerely. Is it just an acquaintance? A friend? Close friend? Or a close, intimate, loving relationship? How would you describe it? Now, we know what we want to describe it as, but what is it really? What is it really? In all reality, what is it really? So right there, you see what you need to do. So to rekindle your faith, to rekindle your closeness with Christ, to rekindle your relationship with Jesus Christ, you know what you need to do? You need to make it more than just an acquaintance. Someone that you just walk past and tip your hat, say, hey, how's it going? Yeah, nice morning, isn't it? And you go on your on your day, you go to your job, you go do your chores, you go do your thing, and you and you and you walk past and walk past him on your way back home the end of the day. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, thanks for everything. Have a good one. With many Christians, Jesus is an acquaintance. Jesus is just an acquaintance with many Christians. Do we want our relationship just to be an acquaintance? Are we content with that? Or do we want it to be an intimate, close, loving relationship? Where you're not just walking past him and tipping your hat to God kind of thing, but rather you go up to him and say, hey, come with me. I want you, I want you, I want you with me. I want you with me today. And he's a part of everything, even in eating and drinking to all to the glory of God. And we see what we need to do. You see, as I regularly talk about, if you were to eat and drink, if you were to eat and drink as often as you read your Bible and prayed, how healthy and strong would you be? You see, for many Christians, we stuff our gobs and we look after the flesh and our physical lives so well that, that our flesh is, is luxurious and healthy and everything else, but our spirits look like concentration camp survivors. That, it, that, we, that we just kind of throw the odd morsel of food over the fence uh, uh, to, to the prisoners, and they, they gobble up just this crumb once in a while. We'll read a Bible verse, a chapter, and we'll have nothing. We won't feed our spirits for days. Maybe if we're lucky, we'll go to a prayer meeting, and then maybe they'll, they'll get a meal on Sundays. And then they got to starve all week, and they get maybe the odd morsel in the morning. Maybe if they're lucky, the odd morsel at night and they starve our spirits are concentration camp survivors we hold our spirits captive and we starve them with with our deliberate ignorance of them we just ignore them 
we, we, we shove our spear into, into the religious corner, and just whenever we think of it, we might throw the odd morsel to it. That's how we treat our spirits. That's how we treat our relationship, and then we wonder why we dry up in our faith of Christ. Give that some thought. I saw a great picture. Uh, a demonstration of this. Uh, it was drawn up in like a little cartoon. It shows a little kid sit, sitting down on the floor with their phone. And it shows it shows little bubble icons of Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and all these other things. And they're sitting there on the phone going. And Jesus is sit, sitting behind them just kind of looking longingly. Just looking longingly at, at, at the person while they have their back to Jesus. And then this person is so absorbed. We kind of shun Jesus. Some uh, More often than not, it's ignorantly. We're not aware of that we're doing this, but this is what we're doing. We're shunning Jesus. Shunning him. I saw another one, uh, uh, an example of this. It shows Jesus sitting at the, at the, at the dinner table. And it, and it says 8, 8 a.m., 8 o'clock a.m., 8 o'clock in the morning. And, the, and, it, and Jesus looks at his watch and says, Oh, they should be here anytime soon. I, I can't wait to talk to them. And it shows you coming up, up from, from behind. Hey, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm late for work. I, I got to go. Um, thanks. Thanks for everything. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. And they rush off and Jesus kind of sits there. It shows shows a 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. He's just sitting there. 6 o'clock. 6.30. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a long day. I was so busy. I just overwhelmed and I just I have so much to do. I'm so tired. I can't really talk right now. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Uh, but thanks for everything. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. And you run and pass goes to bed. And Jesus just sits there. Don't we kind of do that? So how can we fix this? If you're so overwhelmed and if you're so busy, you don't have time to spend with to spend with the Lord. Maybe you're too busy. If other things are getting in the way and you can't spend quality time with the Lord, maybe you're too busy. Maybe you're too absorbed. Maybe you need to make time. It's just like how to fix a relationship, how to fix a marriage. We see even the counselors, everyone tells you, you need to make time for the person. Constant ignoring them, constant shunning, not deliberate, but but because you're so so busy, you're pushing them away. We're pushing Jesus away. We're pushing him out of our minds because we're so absorbed with politics. We're so absorbed with our entertainment. So absorbed with our family and friends. So absorbed with all our all our other stuff going on. That we don't have time for him. Quality time for him. And it's more than just grabbing your Bible and just thumbing through. Okay, uh, okay, read this passage. Okay, I read my Bible today. No, you read words. You read words. You didn't study. You didn't spend time. You didn't sit down with Jesus and grab his hand and hold his hand and talk to him as your loving father. You need to make it personal. You need to make it 
personal. It's a two-way conversation. You talk to him, he talks to you, and you're not looking at your watch. Take your watch off, set it aside, don't pay attention to the time, and spend quality time with Christ. This is why so many churches dry up and why so many Christians lose their faith is because they're treating God like, like deism. He's way up there. You can't really get to know him. And it's not personal. We're treating it like that. Like God lives in the church building, not with me in my house. No, he's with you right now, and he's wanting to talk to you. Are you going to talk to him like a real person? Our prayers even reflect this a lot of times. Our prayers are impersonal. We kind of, it's kind of like a regurgitation of a list. Could you imagine, could you imagine talking to your spouse the way that you talk to God? It's just very impersonal. And it's more like a laundry list. And we don't actually talk to them like a normal person. Talk, what we want to do is we want to talk to the Lord as he is a very real living live person. But this idea, this thought of this closeness of God, of God is gone in the vast majority of modern Christianity today. Just saying. So the question falls down to us. What am I going to do? How am I going to go about this and fix this? That's completely up to you. You can't preach conviction. Conviction is a personal thing. It's a personal choice where you just you decide to take it seriously. When, when you meet a person that you love uh, to be your future husband or wife, you fall in love with this person and you want to marry them. That choice that choice that you make that you want to marry them think about everything that led up to that of the choice where you decide you choose to change to modify to make plans you you decide to to make to make ways so that it can work and you and you can marry each other and then live together and work together do we make deliberate choices to involve the lord that where we are called the bride of christ we see that that kind of marriage idea in life and death and sickness and health and rich or poor i am yours and it's intimate it's close and it's loving think about this the choices we make for people do we make choices for god do we decide to to alter our lives to involve him as a primary source of our day-to-day do we do that? Think about it. And it's more, it's more than in our hearts. It's more that it's more than in our minds. You do realize he is literally 100% standing right beside you. He actually is. Scripture says he stands with us. So close, clo closer than a brother. He stands at, at our elbow. He's literally right here. Not only that, his spirit 
is indwelling us. He, this, the hand of God is wrapped around us. He's standing by our side and a mountain of angels surrounds us. It's 100% literal. Think about that. And he talks with us and teaches us and convicts us and walks with us day to day. And we ignore him. We ignore him. How would you live? How would you operate on a day-to-day -day basis if you could literally see all this? If you could literally see all of this, how would you live? How would this affect your day-to-day? -day? Well, make you a bit more zealous. It would make you a bit more, you know, involved. You'd be taken a lot more seriously. There'd be a lot of things you wouldn't be doing. <laughs> There'd be a lot of things you wouldn't be saying, you wouldn't be doing, you places you wouldn't be going. Why, why is it any different? All because you don't see it. How come if you saw him, you'd talk to him, but if he's invisible, you don't talk to him? It doesn't make sense. We do see the enemy, the world, and the flesh uh, tries to make us apathetic and tries to make us forgetful and all this. But this is where why we got to resist the devil, fight the flesh, and ignore the world. We need to learn to see Christ with our spiritual eyes, realize that he's here in Christ mindfulness, Christ mindfulness, being mindful of Christ that he's with us and everything that we do and bringing him along deliberately because we want him to be with us. We talk to him and involve him in everything. Give that some thought. All right. Okay. Okay. So, um, Okay, so the question by force is, after the thousand years and the devil, the devil is bound, uh, when the fallen angels are thrown, okay, when the fallen angels are thrown in the lake of fire, will they die or live live in it forever? Live in it forever. The scriptures talk about uh, how have their eternal torment. Uh, that the lake of fire was made for the devil and his angels as a punishment for them. Uh, that they will live forever there. Uh, annihilationism is a false doctrine. Um, annihilationism, the belief that those that are thrown in will be burned up and destroyed and cease to exist. No, that is false. Annihilationism is false. Uh, okay, 4 says, does everyone get a glorified body or just the good people? The saved. Those who are born again saved. Those who are born again saved get the glorified body. Only the born again saved. All right. Um, uh, uh, Okay, the light of Christ says, I think no matter what you're going through, you can turn to God and he's your friend. He's always on your side. True. That's the faithfulness of the Lord. He is faithful even when we are not. He is faithful and just even when we are not. And that's the promise of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the promise of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, that's regardless of what you do that's that's the promise of god right there okay um purely says that's so sad if they only knew what they were missing out on these images are exactly what drives me to go to the streets and lift that lift his name up exactly and we see how for example when you fall in love with someone think back if you're married think back to this if if you have someone special in your life th think back to when you first met and you first fell in love with them what it did 
the passion, the zealousness, the fervency, the love, and you couldn't stop thinking about them, you couldn't stop desiring to be with them, you couldn't stop talking about them. Think about this. That that when you fall in love, you can't stop talking about them. You can't stop bragging about them and wanting to be with them. It's the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same with God. You love him so much, you, you can't get him out of your mind. He, you, you're always thinking about him. He's always with you, and you're always talking about him. You're always bragging about him. And the thought of him and his ways stir you up, and you get emotional and zealous and passionate, and you get animated and everything. The difference between a, a dry, long-faced, horse-faced type dry Christian versus someone who's all animated passionate about it. Which one loves the Lord? You see the jokes of people who are uh, certain people who who are married and been married for a long time, and there's no spark. There's no spark, and they're just they're they're more like co-workers than they are spouses. Versus a couple that are married, and it's this still the honeymoon. It's still the love. It's still the spark, and you see, you, you see them working together, joking together, living together. And you see that you see the love and the passion in them. Which relationship is like you and Christ? So how can I fix it? How can I make mine more lively? You got to do your part. You got to do your part. Okay, so with that, that moves on down to uh, topic. And remember, these Q&As go as long as there's involvement. <laughs> Just saying. All right, so some I want to talk about, it's been a while. I think I mentioned this a little bit this past week. I think I seem to recall I may have mentioned it about the fae, the, the, the fairies. What are fairies? Are fairies real now? <laughs> this is a weird Q&A. We're going to talk about dragons and dinosaurs and, and unicorns and all that kind of stuff. Okay, let's talk about fairies. Are fairies real? Are fairies real? Is Tinkerbell real? Well, we know Hollywood does their fair bit of uh, corruption and twisting of things. And the way they present stuff is just completely bogus. But a lot of the stuff we see in movies... In cartoons and things that that depict and show fairies, it's done severely, <laughs> completely false. Uh, the only thing they get right is the name fairy. Now, what are fairies? Where did this come from? Well, it, they're not tiny little winged people that fly around that seem to have little magic powers. That's, that's not a fairy. Uh, but rather, it's something a bit more dark and twisted. Now, in the world of the occult, it is taught that there are different entities, different types of entities of spirit beings, different kinds of creatures and stuff, and that the fairy in the world of the occult is what's called a spark, a sprite. It, it's a, that, that when you start conjuring, doing certain rituals to summon them, suddenly you will have, uh, you will see noticing in your house little sparks of light. Little, a little spark of light in the air moving around in these things and they, 
and they are kind of mischievous and they can do stuff and you can learn to start to communicate with these weird creatures that are called the fae f-a-e the fae known as fairies and people will mock you and say you're stupid well those are the unbeliever pagan godless uh or rock slime evolving people anyway so who cares what they think so we see the interesting study on this the term fae where we get the word fairy and we see the term fairy tales fairy tales fairy tales tales stories instruction told by the fae that they will tell you the word fable fables as well like uh, its cousin tale myth legend so these are specific things as told by these creatures orbs are are different as kimba asked what about orbs orbs are that uh, are portrayed as a different type of creature um you have the sparks you have the orbs you have the shadow walkers you have this you have that there's many different kinds but it's literally all the same thing they're demons it's a demon masquerading as a different kind of creature that's all it is it's a fallen angel a demon which is a devil which is a fallen angel that they, they can literally manifest themselves as anything as the as the horrific monster in the bedroom to a, an, a, a creature appearing to you as an angel of light or they can appear as an orb or they can appear as a shadow walker or the shadow people or whatever. it's literally just a demon masquerading a ghost or a ghast or whatever that's it's literally just a demon masquerading as one of these other creatures that's all it is what the, what they do is they see what you're interested in and they will masquerade themselves as that thing to that you are interested in to get your attention that's how they work the word fable also used to describe a, a deliberate fabrication or fiction fable in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing uh, it, you know, like the story of robin hood or whatever else we see stories myths and things they're not necessarily bad things and uh we take a look uh it's a, a possible true story but has been exaggerated added to blown out of proportion and or twisted so that you, you so you can't know the exact truth or you don't have all the facts like for example the story robin hood there actually was a character uh, uh known as uh, robin of the hood but the whole story of everything of him has been seriously blown out of proportion like for example king arthur and the round table there actually was literally a king arthur but we see a lot of stuff has been blown out of proportion regarding the story of king arthur so these made up tales uh, of uh to, termed as stories from a fairy uh, aka fairy tales this comes from the old world term fae f-a-e which were the forest spirits the forest spirits the demons the spirits uh that uh that out, out there you would go to seek them out and they would contact you and they would start teaching you the demons later evolved to become known as fairy f-a-e-r-i-e f-a-e-r-i-e the fairy these ones appear as bursts or sparks of light in the air also known as the sprites wisps and in the occult they also take forms as animal guides they take forms of animal guides 
ancestor guides, angel guides, alien guides. They appear as guides, as familiar spirits. They become familiar to you and familial. They work their way into your home as a part of your life and familiarity, and you get to know them. They get to know you, and you communicate, and they teach you, and you talk to them. And there's that's what this is: familiar spirits, familiar spirits. And then these things are seen in the occult, witchcraft, shamanism, all this kind of stuff. And it is commonly taught as a good thing by Hollywood. And this is what uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15 warns us about. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves, transforming themselves as demons can transform into all different kinds of creatures or whatever it is that, that you're interested in so they can get your interest. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to the works. If it transform into things of friendliness and love and kind and comfort and, and, and fellowship of fun or whatever, to, to, to be a good positive thing to you to get your attention. So, fairy tales, fables, things made up, but these are made up, but these stories are not just made up by a person. These things are made up, stories literally made up by demons. Like a demon coming to tell you a fairy tale. A demon coming to tell you a story. Coming to tell you instructions and wisdom and knowledge and whatever else. Demons that appear to you to tell you that Jesus is just the spirit brother of Lucifer. Like the, the, the one that came and spoke to Joseph Smith. The one that came to Muhammad and told him that Jesus was just a lesser prophet less than him and, and told him the doctrines of Islam. Or these sparks that appear to you and tell you about the energies of crystals and the spirits in trees and that the universe will reward you for happy thoughts and all kinds of other nonsense and just gobbledygook. They teach you demon tales. The fae are demons and it's not fairy tales, it's demon tales. Or as scripture calls it, doctrines of devils. Like Jesus died on the cross, so you could have your best life now. And if you just take the take the authority given to you and proclaim it, and you and you command it, God will give you money and give you tons of wealth and fame and power and like what Lucifer tempted Jesus with in the wilderness. If you would but corrupt yourself, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Hmm. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away from their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto... What? What? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. 
They shall be turned unto fables, stories of devils, doctrines of devils, fairy tales. Where the devils come in and teach you all kinds of nonsense and gobbledygook uh, of uh, false corrupt doctrine, corrupt theology, they, where you corrupt Christianity, you make it more about social issues, political issues, you get all consumed more about your best life now, and you water down sin, air-conditioned hell, and you saw off the rough edges of the cross, and you change the gospel, you fling open the doors to be more inclusive, So beware of fairy tales. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Seducing spirits. And doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry is a fairy tale. Forbidding to marry. Just shack up. As long as you love each other, just shack up and go live together. You don't need to get married. Or, like for example, monks and nuns, where they forbid to marry. Forbidding to marry is a fairy tale. Commanding to abstain from meats. Fairy tale, or, or many of the in the Christian circles who uh, who say you can't eat pork and you can't eat this, and they and they preaching law and and abstinence from certain meats and foods while we're under the uh, under the uh, dispensation of grace. That's a fairy tale saying you can't eat what you want to eat. It's a fairy tale. Uh, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received at thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For to sanctify by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of, of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables. And exercise thyself rather unto godliness. It all starts with defying everything that God has decreed. Yea, hath God truly said. Starting with the first line in the Garden of Eden. Satan defied God and lied to Eve. He shall not surely die. Basically calling God a liar and teaching her to oppose God's commandments. Questioning God. And implementing his own way, he started the religion of opposing the words of God. Which is why we are told to be as the Bereans in Acts 17.11. Searching the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Witchcraft, witchcraft in the occult has, has a saying. It's called the creed of witches. The witch's creed. As above, so below. As above, so below what does that mean as god is i can be bringing god and the world together equal you can be as god god can be like us if god says white then they say black and it's a blasphemous statement declaring their full intent to flip upside down everything that has been given above God, God says white, they say black. Christ says he is the only way. Then the devil would create a million other ways, a million other religions, a million other things. God says to be holy and abstain from wickedness. 
The devil is going to make the world attractive and cause the believers to grow bored in God. Matthew 24, 4-5, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. The word of God says this is what it is and this is what's going to be. The Bible says, like, for example, for example, the mark of the beast. It tells us what it is, when it's going to come, how it's going to be implemented, step by step in detail. This is what it is. But what do people do? Fables. The mark of the beast is, the, is a mask that you wear on your face. The mark of the beast is a needle. The mark of the beast is a vaccine. The mark of the beast is the microchip. The mark of the beast is the 5G, 4G, 3G. The mark of the beast is smartphones. The mark of the beast is seat belts and health cards. It's everything else. It's fables. And what does God say? It's, it's the name or the number or the name of the beast which is implemented after the rapture. And it's, it is the seal sigil of Lucifer. It's not a needle. It's not a microchip. It's fables, fairy tales to say it's all other things. To say that the mark of the beast is already here and they're implementing it. No, no, they're not. If you take the vaccine that you took the mark of the beast. No, no, it's not the mark of the beast. I'm not saying it's good. I'm, not, I'm saying it's not the mark of the beast. It's a fairy tale. It's deceptions and lies and, and, and gimmicks of the enemy told in ways that kind of sound plausible to spark your interest so you get off on tangents. So you will corrupt what the Bible has flat out said. Matthew 24, 11. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. There'll be people of high intellect and knowledge and, and education and writing books and big names and famous people, whatever, that will deceive you. They will deceive you to be deceived by fairy tales. Like, for example, we see again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians and we want chapter 2 verse 1 now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our lord jesus christ and by our gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as at the day of christ is at hand let no man deceive you by any means. Do you see? What the world says, what the enemy says, and then what God says are massively different. We see in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. People who have been deceived by the Fae and are going around spreading the instructions that the Fae told them. Well, I got a, I got a word of knowledge. How do you know it's from God? 
if it contradicts the word of God, it wasn't of God, but rather a spirit masquerading as God got into your mind. You may not have seen the spark of light, but a spirit has literally come to you and, and, and sparked inspiration in your mind on other thoughts and ideas and things that where you thought it was from God, but it wasn't. How do you test the spirits to see if they're of God? By the scriptures. By the word of God. By doctrine and theology. If it contradicts the word of God, then it's not of God. If it's additional information not found in the Bible, then it's not of God. Believe not every spirit. There's only one spirit that we believe in, and that's the Holy Spirit of the living God. Romans 16, 17-19 now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Deceive the hearts of the simple. Simple-minded people have simple uh, understanding of the scriptures because they don't study the Bible, they don't study doctrines, and they're easily deceived. They don't know how to test it because they haven't studied it, and they don't know what the Bible says, so they're led astray very easily, like shooting fish in a barrel. This is why you often see, quite often, brand new born-again believers get mixed up and easily pulled around because they don't have much knowledge. But a lot of Christians are like that today. People have been Christians for years and years and years are still the same. It's not about it's not about how long you've been on the road, it's how far you've traveled. Not many Christians travel that far. So the Fae are spirits, deceiving spirits, deceiving spirits that will get into your life one way, shape, or form, in one way or another, to try to spark your inspiration, spark your mind, spark your thoughts, everything from from seductions of, of seducing doctrines to gross, grotesque nightmare kind of things like intrusive thoughts. You ever had intrusive thoughts? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, that they, they get in and they do that. They, 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 they are able to masquerade themselves in such a way, mask themselves in such a way that, that when they speak into your mind, it literally sounds like your thoughts. Like you are thinking it's your thoughts, but it's not. How do you know the thoughts that you're having right now are your thoughts? How can you test it? So, the Fae are very seductive very deceptive the the demons they're the devils they are the fallen angels masquerading in ways to try to deceive you and they will do this by any means they possibly can they can't get you they'll try to get someone in your family they'll try to get someone in your circle of influence they'll try to orchestrate manipulate and teach and instruct and all kinds of stuff they'll try to do anything and you test it all by the word of god by the faith so there you go just some thoughts on this one uh that fairies are real they're demons. There you go. Okay. Um, let's go down here. Okay, Kimba says, Some people I know think orbs are good spirits. <laughs> yeah, they're good demons. Yeah. Angels of God don't float around as orbs. Angels of God aren't orbs. Whenever the angels of God appear, they, they appear as angels of God. 
and they immediately speak the words of God in line with the word of God. They don't just wander around, float around, and do pointless, nonsensical things. They, they're not like that. That's not what they do. Orbs are demons trying to deceive you to get your attention. So because it's what the devils want. The devils want you to give them attention, and they will do literally anything to get your attention. That's what that is. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Kimba says, what's your spiritual warfare plan? Read the scriptures, believe the scriptures, preach the scriptures, call upon Christ, trust in Christ, and whatever is needed, the Lord will instruct you to do. Is it true that we should we should only cast out demons and not pray the principalities of regions should be bound and removed? What of second heaven? Um, nothing in scripture says anything about tearing down uh, uh, praying up that principalities and powers would be removed, but that we should resist them. Uh, people who say that they can bind devils, well, why don't you leave them bound? Why do they keep unbinding themselves? If you can bind Satan, could you please just leave him bound? <laughs> uh, but uh, no, we can't bind devils. Uh, that, that's not a biblical doctrine. And the only time we see casting out devils is, yes, we have authority by the name of Jesus. I don't have authority. I don't have power. I don't bind devils. I don't cast out devils. The Lord does. It, but we walk in faith in the service of the Lord. And if the enemy appears in some manner, we rebuke them and command them to depart in the name of the Lord. And they do. The Bible says that's how it's done. And that's what it is. Um, so the whole deliverance ministries thing is a bunch of garbage nonsense. The charismatic Pentecostal idea of, of dealing with devils and deliverance is a bunch of nonsense garbage. Have nothing to do with that it's very very unbiblical that the charismatic uh, pentecostal deliverance ministries is fables fables so yeah uh okay fools so sorry i missed some of what you said about the fae have authors of fairy tales that we all grew up with uh, channeled these stories through demons well i I wouldn't necessarily say channeled, inspired, maybe in some aspects, because when you take a look at many of the actual fairy tales of the famous fairy tales, it's full of witchcraft and mysticism of wizardry and sorcery and evil, wicked, dark, twisted, satanic stuff. I wonder who would have inspired them to write that kind of stuff. Like Brothers Grimm. Where did all this dark, evil, twisted, wicked stuff come from? On the minds of devils. So yeah. Uh, Kimbo says, do you, do you think the powers that be are using apocalyptic words and symbols to make Christians empathetic? Uh, I'm trying to figure out what you're saying here. Do you think the powers that be are using, uh, like, that they're spellcasting whatever no no that that that's kind of shifting it around now the the apocalyptic words and symbols and stuff that's it's just made up 
gibberish that the devils say like if you grab this stick and spin around in circles seven times you can conjure something that that's that's stupid they're just telling you to do something stupid just to mock you that the doing the thing literally does nothing literally does nothing uh, the spells is just made up gibberish say this mishmash of words and we'll do a thing that makes us no, no that they're mocking you they're mocking your intelligence uh that's all that is so no but they but that the devils are though the principalities and powers that be are though um uh manipulating society and manipulating everything to make everything worse that they are doing that they are fighting us they are working behind the scenes that they are doing that this is why we need to be aware and we need to keep ourselves close to the lord okay um okay uh i think sometimes they want you to speak the thoughts out loud since the power is in the tongue no no um just repeating what they say no it doesn't manifest things no it's that's not how it works uh they have their desires and they just want you to be in line with their desires it's not well don't say these words don't say the word the words themselves don't have power the words themselves don't have power the only thing the only words that actually have power is the words of the living god when they're spoken in believing faith the devils just want to kind of masquerade and mimic the way that God works, but they don't have the power of God. No, it's it's not in the tongue. The tongue doesn't have power. Words themselves don't have power. It's the deliberate obedience to either God or the devils, and the devils then will reward you. And you obey the Lord, the Lord will reward you. That's how it works. So, yeah. Uh I'm talking about the elites. No, they're they're just people who've been deceived by devils and they're serving devils and the devils are rewarding them and they will literally do that for anyone and everyone. You don't have to be an elite to to do that. The poorest pauper uh beggar in the streets can be as powerful as the elites if they give themselves over to the devils. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what you're doing. Uh so yeah, it's not just the elites. They don't have anything more special than we have. They are flesh and blood human just like you and me. They're no different. They're just individuals that have given themselves over to the enemy. And the enemy is now manipulating them. That's all it is. And the devils literally, literally don't care about the person. All they care about is having their desires manifested in the world. So yeah. Um. Okay, so... That is the next one there. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Purely says, uh, what are your thoughts on altar calls in church? Should or shouldn't? Well, I understand the point. I understand what uh, altar calls are for. I understand the point of them. But it's not always the best thing. Um, because not everybody's the same. Some people are just naturally shy. Um, naturally timid. There's nothing wrong with that. And public demonstrations can sometimes that 
because of because of the this kind of thing they they may not involve themselves and it just it kind it's kind of it causes more problems that, than it is good it's also a carryover from ortho uh, from the 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 protestants uh, protestant thing it's a carryover from orthodox practice of coming up to the front to the altars where you do all the, the thing it's just, that's what it is and you know altar calls are completely completely pointless because what what is done up at the front it can be done in your seat well the point is to overcome pride and all this was that doesn't always work and it causes more problems and it causes some people to become bitter because they are seen as as evil or there's something wrong with them because they can't stand up in front of people your salvation is based upon believing on the lord not on standing up walking to the front of a room you don't have to go to the front of the room to receive the blessing of God. That that's nonsense. That's more tradition of orthodoxy than it is biblical action. So, if you want to, you can, but it's going to cause some issues with certain people. And uh, and uh, you say, hey, whoever here after the big long sermon, the big long message, and you then the preacher says, okay, everybody bow your head. Now, all those who have convicted, raise your hand. If you raise your hand, come up to the front, and we'll tell you, and we'll lead you, help you to to come to the Lord. Some people can't bring themselves to do that. And so, therefore, because of this, they, they get frustrated at this, and it makes them grow more bitter. And instead of see, seeing a soul saved, you've just caused a person to grow tired of the Lord and get frustrated and grow cold, and they miss their miss their opportunity. You see what I mean? Well, some people say, oh, you're overreacting. Okay, sure. But my point still stands that it causes more problems, and it's completely, completely, completely unnecessary, and sometimes flows a little bit more into the ego of the preacher, because he wants to see how many people he's convicted in the end of his sermon, because he'll think he'll think that something is wrong with him if nobody raises his hand. Um, whether or not you, you've convicted a hundred or, or one is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. You, numbers of people doesn't matter so much as you've gotten the word out there. And it's the Spirit of God that's moving on the people, not you. Spirit of God has convicted the people, not you. It's the numbers for the Lord, and he's the one that's drawing the people, not you. So it becomes a bit more of a problem. In that. So personally, I... I I don't agree with altar calls. Um, if someone wants to do it, that's their choice. I won't oppose them in that. Just I personally just don't see it as helpful. So there you go. Okay. Um, okay. Mary says, don't you think it's acknowledging Jesus publicly as your Lord and Savior? Well, that's done at baptism. That's what baptism is for. That's what baptism's for. Salvation is personal. It's the confession of the belief of the heart. And that can be done silently sitting in your seat, or it can be done out in public. It can be done, but the point is, is it's you personal. Baptism is the public declaration. That's what it is. Um, and some people aren't public preachers and evangelists or whatever. Some people just aren't outgoing. So why are we forcing people to do that? So we want it to be a willing, and if they if they are unable to do it of, of, of a willing thing voluntarily, why are we trying to force them? It becomes more of a have to instead of a want to. 
you have to do this or else there's something wrong with you no some people just are like that that's just the way they are and they're no less of a saint than you a person who's unable to stand up publicly is not is not less of a saint than the person who's able to go out and street preach um see what i mean so but the public declaration that is purely what baptism is for that the baptism is the public declaration of, uh, of you are showing outwardly what has happened inwardly so yeah uh okay so um okay purely says i'll come back to your question in a second uh 17. uh purely says i've come not to like any of that guiding in church as well of the calling of altar calls that kind of stuff same as i don't like the sinner's prayer right the sinner's prayer doesn't save you saying the prayer doesn't save you so, well well I, I said the prayer i i prayed the prayer i i prayed and i said no no that's not what saves you it's the it's the knowledge and the understanding and the belief of the heart not the one two three repeat after me uh reciting the enchanted words uh the sinner's prayer doesn't save you uh, it's the it's the understanding of who Jesus is and who I am before Christ, what He did for me, and and now what the scriptures say about what must I do to be saved? I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ of the heart, and as Romans ten nine to ten, you confess the belief of your heart. You don't. It's not. Uh, it's not. You're saved when you when you recite these words. So yeah. Uh, so we want the person to make it personal to them. It's they call upon the Lord of the words of their heart. They call upon the Lord. Well, some people just struggle and they just don't know what to say. Well, I get that. And that's where some help can come in. But it, but it's not that the one, two, three, repeat after me, say all of these words. No, you want to make it personal for them. So, but yeah, the sinner's prayer thing of easy believism is completely false. So just to just elbow the person into one, it just say these words, say these words. Uh, you, you are literally inoculating people against the gospel and they are no more saved than the brick in the wall and they they just now think they're saved because they said words now, there needs to be the knowledge of christ the understanding of christ the understanding of sin the conviction of sin and and seeing seeing christ for who he is and what he is and what he's done and you call upon him in faith the belief of the heart a knowledge of mind and belief of the heart you call upon the lord and make it personal that's what saves you so yeah Okay, so, um, okay, 17 says, do you have a missionary or know any? Well, I know lots. I know many missionaries. Um, Christian Coffee Time actually does support uh, a missionary, and we have supported other uh, missionaries and evangelists in time past. Uh, there, uh, So there are some. Uh, I myself am a missionary. I work as a missionary, operate as a missionary. I'm a street preacher and evangelist. Uh, and this is what Christian, uh, Christian, Christian coffee time is based upon. Uh, and this is the work we do is we, we seek and strive to build up and create more evangelists, preachers, and missionaries, people with the, with the uh, deeper grasp and knowledge of the basics of the faith and of the gospel of Jesus Christ and go out and share it and spread it with others. That's what CCT is all about. So yeah. All right. Now, um, if there are any other comments, questions, issues, insights, please go ahead, fire away. Be glad to hear from you. All right. So this brings us to the last thing that I have for today so if you have anything else you'd like to talk about please go ahead um we 
are limited in some time. Uh, okay, so... Um, I've been challenged uh, by an individual. Uh, they left a comment, and this is why. This is why. Um, here on our YouTube channel, if you go to make a comment under one of the videos on our channel, my videos that, that I've done here of our videos, uh, if you leave a comment, it'll automatically go for approval. All comments are held for approval. Why? Because we have a lot of trolls. There's a lot of those immorality bots, a lot of them leaving very indecent comments uh, in the videos. So, uh, so those kinds of things, troll comments, bot comments are deleted. All comments are held for approval. This is why. Anyways, I, uh, uh, an individual left a comment calling me out and saying how oh, I'm wrong. I'm a wrong preacher and all this because I deny baptismal regeneration. Because I said that baptismal regeneration is a, is a false gospel. And he didn't like that and challenged me on that and said, I need to go educate myself and all this, blah, 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 blah. And says, I don't know what baptism is. Okay. So. Let's educate ourselves regarding baptism. What does the Bible teach about baptism? Specifically, why baptismal regeneration is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I have a, a thing here. I've done this before. I've said this before. I've preached this before. So this is for, for, for you, bud, who called me out and said, I don't know what baptism is and that baptism is a requirement for your salvation. You, that's what you believe. Um, okay. I hope you see this and I hope you that this educates you uh, so you know why baptism regeneration is a false gospel. I.e. water baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That, that getting dunked in water forgives your sins. I say that with all the dripping sarcasm that I can muster. Okay. <laughs> Now, in addressing baptismal regeneration, in addressing any and all other belief systems in the entire world, can easily be done by, by your study and research on a single word. One word. Grace. Grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is the, wait, wait for it, unmerited, unmerited favor of God, unmerited. Now, what does that mean? I didn't merit it. I didn't earn it. It's not a reward. I don't deserve it. And he gave it to me anyways, because he so loved me that I do not have to do anything to receive it but believe but to believe believing trust i.e faith the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen for by grace unmerited favor of god for by grace are ye saved through faith saved 
salvation, redeemed, regenerated, bought, made new, changed by grace, by believing faith. Saved from what? The wrath of God, condemnation of sin, the judgment of God, hellfire. I'm saved by believing faith, by grace through faith, by the riches of his grace, the, the redeemed by his blood, by the riches of his grace, of my sins, that I'm saved. So how in... I need to calm down. How in all that is holy can I be saved by my belief, but yet I need my sins forgiven by getting dunked in water? How is that How is that two different things? So are you literally telling me that I can believe in Jesus and still go to hell if I haven't been dunked in water? That if you're, you're out in the street preaching Christ and all this stuff, and I believe I 100% of the heart, I believe, I believe 100% of the heart, and I'm on my way to the church, and I get hit by a truck, and I die. You're telling me my sins haven't been dealt with, and I'm still going to hell because I haven't been dunked in water? Seriously. That's what the baptismal regenerationist says. Your sins are only forgiven when you get dunked in a pool. You got to go to a pool and you got to go jump in the water to have your sins forgiven. And until you until you do a cannonball, your sins aren't forgiven. It's the cannonball gospel. The issue with baptismal regeneration is adding to the message of grace. That grace ceases to exist. Grace ceases to exist. You're saved, but you have to do this to merit it, to earn it. It is given if you do this, that I can't receive X until I do Y. That I have to do a physical action. I have to go and do a thing to receive this. To be able to receive the fullness of my regeneration and redemption, I have to do an action. That is righteous works to earn to gain. Titus 3.5 not by righteous works which we have done but it's a washing every generation renewing of the holy ghost it's the spirit of god that washes you clean regenerates you changes you makes you new seals you not you're doing a cannonball in a bunch of water grace is the unmerited favor of god that I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's not a reward, but he gives it to us anyways because he so loves us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 13 flat out shows right there your sins are forgiven by the riches of his grace by belief of the gospel of the heart. It's what it says. Romans 10, 9 to 10 says it's by the confession of the belief of the heart. And neither in Ephesians 1, 7, Ephesians 1, 13, or Romans 10, 9 to 10, John 3, 16 to 18, or Acts 16, 30 to 31, or any other mention of the gospel in the, in the Bible, it says nothing about the necessity of baptism is a requirement for, uh, for your salvation. If, if, if baptism is a requirement, if baptism is so important in that aspect, then why didn't Jesus say so to Nicodemus? Why didn't Paul say so to the jailer? Why didn't Jesus say so to the thief on the cross? Well, he was a special exception. Oh, so there's more than one way to salvation, huh? Is that what you're saying? 
if it was if it's so a requirement for your salvation then why did paul flat out say in first corinthians 1 14 to 16 he's glad he did not baptize any but a couple of of, of those that followed him why is he why did he say he's glad he did not baptize any if it was a requirement for salvation wouldn't he rather have said i'm glad i did baptize many or how about in 1 Corinthians 1.17, Apostle Paul says, I do not come preaching baptism. If baptism was a requirement for salvation, wouldn't he have said, I do come preaching baptism? In Mark 16.16, 16, it says, unbelief damns you, not unbaptism. That you're damned if you do not believe. It doesn't say you're damned if you don't get dunked in water. 1 Peter 3.21 says that the, the water saves the conscience because it's the act of obedience. It saves the conscience, not the soul. As, as in, it's an act of obedience, not gaining forgiveness of sins. And it doesn't put off the filth of the flesh. In Greek, this is the deeds of the flesh. That is the sins of the flesh. It, put, it, it, it saves the conscience, not the soul. Paul says salvation is wrought by confessing the belief of the heart. Romans 9 to 10, not doing cannonballs in water. Philip the evangelist with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. The eunuch says, what hinders me to be baptized? Look, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? I wonder, what would hinder me to be baptized? And Philip says, if you believe, then you may. It's something that occurs after belief. It's something that is done after you believe because it's belief that saves you. Acts 8, 36 and 37, thus indicating after belief, one is baptized. Why? Because belief is salvation. Salvation from what? Sin. Sin is forgiven. How? By belief on the work of Jesus Christ of the atonement of the cross. Saying you have to get dunked in water in addition to believing to be saved is saying that Jesus was insufficient his atonement on the cross was insufficient that there's something left for you to do then when jesus said it is finished he lied what is one saved from what is one saved from salvation from what blood shed for what redemption of what hebrews 9 22 the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins Ephesians 1, 7, redemption through his blood by the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, 13, this is done by trusting and believing the gospel, not by baptism. Baptismal regeneration is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptismal regeneration is then a righteous works-based system of salvation, i.e. a false gospel of works to earn your salvation. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, not of yourselves, not of yourselves, like walking into a baptismal tank not of yourselves it is a gift of god not a reward not something you earn as a reward or you purchase by merit it's a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast you don't earn it you don't deserve it it's not a reward you can't work for it you can't atone for it you can't impress god by meriting it you can only trust and believe by faith through his grace and accept salvation by belief in the merit and works of the righteousness of jesus christ alone adding to that anything anything thus makes christ insufficient his work 
incomplete and you have to help Jesus save you. Thus elevating yourself to you have equal merit of equal righteousness of equal ability to be equal with Jesus. That my works that I do is equal to the works of Jesus Christ. Elevating yourself higher than what you ought to be. So there you go. Salvation is a free gift. No maintenance, no earning a favor. Once given, it cannot be taken away. There you go. Okay. So I hope that makes sense. So Bud <laughs> calling me out on that, saying I don't know what baptism is and that baptismal regeneration is the true gospel. You don't know what you're talking about because you're you're believing that you have to help Jesus save you. So you are literally adding yourself to the cross and helping Jesus because he was insufficient and that it's more than the blood of Jesus Christ. Thus, you are limiting the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and you're making water equal to the blood of Jesus Christ. If the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't save you, no, the, the, the pool does. So with that, let's move on. Okay. Okay, Kimba has a question. It's because we people have free will and choose wickedness, and wickedness can't be cast out like demons can? No, uh, what we see is Romans chapter 7. Uh, Apostle Paul actually talks about this one in depth in Romans chapter 7. That... Uh, sin is in our flesh sin is in our flesh and in our flesh our flesh does no good thing and the flesh opposes the spirit the flesh opposes god because of the sins of the flesh i know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing and with the mind i serve the law of god but the flesh i serve the law of sin and because sin is in the flesh and the flesh is condemned to die you can't override this you can't be 100 percent perfectly holy because of the sins of the flesh that while we're in this body we're going to be struggling with the sin of the flesh and this sin is the the breed of all wickedness and this is where all of our problems stem from is the sin of the flesh and yeah so the wickedness is in this and you can't cast out the sin of the flesh you have to deal with it and fight it and resist it to the day you die, the day the Lord calls you up to him. So, yeah. Go read Romans chapter 7. And if you spend time in that uh, in careful reading, go slowly through Romans 7, you'll see the examples that Paul leaves and what he means by this. Uh, okay, what does Ecclesiastes 3 mean when it says a time to kill, a time to hate, you know, a time to sow, a time to reap, and a time to this? And that? It, it talks about it's just as it, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes was Solomon and and he sees and the, he's writing this he writes this at the end of his life near the end of his life and we see in in Ecclesiastes as well is his repentance his remorse and his repentance uh, of all the horrible horrible wicked things he's done he's realized what he's done and he's repentant unto the Lord. And he talks about, remember the Lord in the days of your youth. And he, we see a, a repentance and Solomon, even though committed horrible, heinous things, he repents of this. We will see Solomon in heaven. He repents of all this and he writes Ecclesiastes. And he's talking about in this, about the vanity of life. 
It's vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And we, we sow, we reap, we hate, we kill, we love, we do all this. And, this time, and all through our lives, we find, we find ourselves in times of all these things. He's, just, he's bearing out the, uh, life and how all this goes down through. It doesn't mean that we can do that. As your question is, you know, can, can we, are we allowed to do this? A time to kill, a time to hate? No, no. It, but rather, it's just, this is what happens. This is life, and life happens. But what's more important, as he goes on to talk about what's more important, is trusting the Lord and, and believing the Lord. It's the things of spirit, not the things of this world. Stuff of this world is vanity. Pointless. Everything fades. Everything dies. Everything wears out. Money is spent. Beauty fades. Life ends. Kingdoms rise and fall. We love, we hate, we sow, we reap, we, we, we live, we kill. We just, it's all vanity. The only thing that matters is that which is of God, which is of spirit. That's what Solomon is getting at in his writing of Ecclesiastes. Um, okay. Uh, Purely says, yeah, the cannonball gospel. That must be from the book of Second Opinions. Yeah, Second Opinions, chapter 3, verse 2. Okay. <laughs> okay uh alan says can you talk about the timing of the rapture do you believe the bible teaches pre-tribulation event no i do not and here is why and this is well actually what the bible teaches now if you want to know more on the book of revelation we have an entire uh, bible study series in the book of revelation going through and that uh it's not pre-trib mid-trib or post-trib what the bible teaches rather it's pre-wrath pre wrath is is we are taken out just before the wrath of god is poured out and when does that occur okay the bible teaches clearly that we are taken out the the, the if we're alive at the time pre-trib says we are taken out before the antichrist reveals himself before he makes peace in the Middle East, before he 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 initiates uh, the building of the third temple and all of this stuff, uh, no, no, that's incorrect. The Bible teaches, not mid-trib. It's not not middle. Post-trib is just stupid. <laughs> uh, but rather pre-wrath. Now we see here in Second Thessalonians chapter two verses one to four is is a summarized. The summarized uh, section uh, where it summarizes up all of this and and, and just uh, bits of pieces here so we could see the sequence of events and you compare this with the prophecies of Daniel and uh, and others and with Revelation, Second Thessalonians chapter two verses one to four. Um, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, the gathering of the saints together unto the Lord, the dead in Christ are raised first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together and meet him in the clouds. That's the gathering of the saints. That's i.e. the rapture. That's what rapture is. We're saying, well, rapture doesn't exist. Rapture is a title term that is given to the doctrine of the gathering of the saints together unto Christ. That's what the Bible says. Okay, they be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letters from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. That's the second coming of Christ. See, this is second coming, and then this is second arrival. The second arrival is when he arrives on earth, as we looked at that earlier about the millennial reign of Christ, where he actually comes back physically onto the earth. The second coming is when he comes in the clouds. Second arrival is when he actually comes down and he descends upon the Mount of Olives. 
Okay, uh, as a day of Christ is at hand, verse 3, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means for that day, the second coming of Christ, that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. All right, we, we, we see that. A falling away first, and that man of sin, the Antichrist, the son of perdition, the man of sin be revealed. He'll reveal himself. How will he reveal himself? How will he reveal that he is the Antichrist? Be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, uh, they're not going to be able to build the third temple as long as there's war in the Middle East. So he has to make peace in the Middle East so they can build the third temple. See, he initiates a seven-year peace treaty in the Middle East, and they start building the third temple, and then when it's built, he sits in the temple and declares himself as God. We see the sun is dark, and the moon is turned to blood, the stars fall from heaven, and the, and the sun of men appears in the clouds, and the trump of God will sound, and then we're caught up, and then the Lord starts pouring out his wrath upon the earth. Uh, that doesn't fit pre-trib. That doesn't fit mid-trib. And that doesn't fit post-trib. This fits pre-wrath. It's called pre-wrath. So, there you go. If you want to know more about that, um, check out our series on the book of Revelation. Um, uh, uh, do a full walkthrough of this, and it's really explained in great depth detail, and uh, yeah, that's I, I recommend that. Okay. Uh, okay, Artist says, why do I get wicked dreams still as a Christian? Do sins committed in the dream world count? Not necessarily, no. Um, uh, if it's deliberate, like you, you, like for example, daydreams, and you deliberately daydream about wicked, in, inappropriate, or whatever thoughts. Uh, okay, that's different. Uh, like for example, as Jesus says, lusting after another person is literally committing adultery of the heart, hating an individual's murder of the heart. So that's different. Now, but unconscious. And your brain is going and the imagery and the things happening in your, in your dreams and you don't have any control and it's not deliberate no that's just that's what's called intrusive thoughts that's intrusive thoughts i.e coupled with the uh, in addition to sorry in addition to coupling with the sins of the flesh the sins of the flesh um that the one thing we must understand that really helps us to to grasp this and understand this is why why do wicked things still happen to me and thoughts and all this stuff well again romans chapter 7 romans chapter 7 uh let's just look at it really quickly all right so apostle paul is talking here in romans chapter 7 and he talks about his personal struggles and things. Oh, the things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. A wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of sin. This is the Apostle Paul talking. And Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Spirit of God, writes this explanation of what is going on. And we see in Romans 7 uh, the dichotomy between spirit and flesh. Your soul is saved. Your spirit soul is saved. Your flesh is not. Your flesh is not. And the flesh opposes you. The flesh fights you. The flesh wars against your spirit and your spirit against your flesh. 
And he says here, um, verse uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, sin, that no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present, the will, the desire to do good is, is in me is with me but how to perform that which is good i find not for the good that i would i do not but the evil which i would not that i do now if i do that i would not it is no more i that do it but sin that dwelleth in me i find then a law that when i would do good evil is present with me for i delight in the law of god after the inward man the inner man but I see another law in my members, my flesh, warring against the law of my mind, the law of God, which is in my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. It's because of the sin of the flesh. And the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And the flesh lusts after death and dark and wickedness and evil and sin. And this is why we're constantly, constantly, constantly battling and failing and falling and all this. And why why in our struggle for perfection, we just, we just fall so short because our flesh holds us back. And this is what the Bible talks about, why we repent and why we walk in the Spirit, we pray in the Spirit, we worship in the Spirit, we, we focus in the Spirit, walk by faith and not by sight. We judge after righteousness and not judge after the appearance because the flesh lies and, and hates and wars. The flesh doesn't want to read the Bible, it doesn't want to pray, it doesn't want to go to church, it doesn't want to serve the Lord. The flesh doesn't want to hand out tracts, the flesh doesn't want to witness, the flesh doesn't love righteousness and it will oppose you to everything. And we see that in Paul's struggle in Romans 7. All right. Okay, uh, artist says, is lucid dreaming a bad thing? It happens involuntarily at times. Lucid dreaming is just you're dreaming, but you're aware of it. And sometimes you can control it. If, if Okay, for example, like right now, right where you are, uh, think of a grassy field. Okay, a grassy field. Okay. Uh, you're walking through the grassy field and you see a big tree and you bend over, pick up a pine cone. That's lucid dreaming. It's imagination. It's, just a, it's a point where you have a certain level of awareness in your dreams and it becomes a little bit more like a daydream where you can kind of control it like a video game. That's not evil. That's not bad. That's, that's your imagination, your active conscience, uh, conscious imagination uh, becoming involved in your dreaming. That is not spiritual. That is not wicked. It is not sin. People who say it is are dumb. <laughs> so yeah, it's literally just your active imagination now becoming aware of your dreams and you start to interact in your dreams like more of a daydream. That's all it is. It's not bad. Not bad. Um, no, 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 like, no, no, it's not. Uh, lucid dreaming literally is just you're aware of your dreaming and you become involved in it. it's not spiritual dreams aren't spiritual uh certain ones are not all dreams are spiritual 
uh, many dreams are nonsense your brain jumbling thing things together or whatever and making stuff up and whatever um, they can become uh, you can have uh involvement from the spiritual realm from the spiritual side from the enemy can get involved in your dreams and they can become that um they can tempt in, in things in your dreams uh but dreaming in and of itself is not a spiritual thing and uh, active dreaming of imagination like daydreams is not bad that you can have bad dreams but not all dreams are bad it's like saying all television shows and movies are bad no there are some good ones some bad ones so yeah okay no, it doesn't open doors uh, uh, to to that kind of thing. No, if you deliberately go and get involved in that kind of stuff or whatever, and the demons can get this is why you you test all things. That if you start to have bad dreams, you'd rebuke it and uh, you pray against the bad dreams. But for example, thinking of walking through a grassy field and picking up a pine cone uh, is your imagination. That is not an opening a door for devils. And no, you get you can't just accidentally open portals to demons. Demons. that's not a thing that's charismatic teaching that is not biblical teaching and yes i was in the world of the occult for 16 years and i know all about lucid dreaming i know all about you know trance dreaming and all that kind of stuff astral projection i know all about that stuff and lucid dreaming is not occultic uh it can be brought into occult where occult can take this thing and use it but the thing in of itself is not bad it's like saying uh, it's like saying guitars are evil because evil people use them no evil people take a thing and do bad stuff with it evil people take pianos evil people take eating evil people do all kinds of other stuff and take things to use them for they are taking the the act of dreaming and involving it in the thing it doesn't mean the thing in and of itself is bad the thing in and of itself is not bad but it is taken and is used they corrupt the act of this you can't accidentally open portals that's not a thing that doesn't happen you deliberately have to do a thing actively with the intention for that to, to be able to bring them in all right um Am I advocating for lucid dreaming? I'm saying lucid dreaming in and of itself, the act of generalized lucid dreaming is not bad. It is not. It categorically is not. It can be used for like driving cars. You can use it for bad things. You get eating isn't bad, but it can be abused. Gluttony. Uh, the things in and of themselves are not bad. Uh, they are used for bad things. And a person with desires to activate in uh, portals, whatever, for uh, to learn how uh, trancing that kind of stuff can use it for that. Some people naturally lucid dream without any intention. It's not a bad thing. Uh, uh, what what is bad is the deliberate usage. The deliberate usage. Um, doing it purposely is bad, though. No. Daydreams are lucid dreams. Daydreaming is lucid dreaming. So are you telling me all daydreaming is bad? Because daydreaming is lucid dreaming. You are lucid. You are aware. You are conscious. You are active in it. You know what's going on. Are you saying daydreaming is bad? So yeah. Lucid dreaming is not bad. It can be used for bad things, but it in and of itself is not bad. 
you are lucid you are aware semi-conscious you know what's going on your brain is active in the thing and it be, and you take part in it now some lucid dreams can become bad but this is why we need to pray before we go to sleep and all this stuff and the reason why we need to hold our minds and thoughts accountable to the lord but not all uh, not all dreams that you are aware of are bad so yeah okay um Uh, I, it says, uh, I meant trying to induce a lucid dream at night purposely. No, it's because, again, lucid dreaming is dreams that you are aware of. You know what you are doing. You picture a castle, and now you're a knight in the castle. You have armor and a sword and a shield, and you're fighting a dragon. Uh, is that bad? And you think of it, you picture it right now. You're picturing a castle and a knight and a dragon. You're fighting the dragon. Is that bad? That that imagery that I just I just summed up in your mind, you are now thinking about, is that an evil occult thing? No, no, it is not. No, it is not. If you are lucid dreaming, thinking about occultic things, okay, okay, that, that, that is wrong. But active, lucid, aware, conscious dreaming, is not bad but you can you can use conscious dreaming for bad things okay i have to agree to disagree well um, okay you can believe whatever you want but you are actively saying daydreaming is bad by your logic okay let's back up is so artist says is lucid dreaming a bad thing no no it is not it happens involuntary at times right because it's daydreaming sometimes you just catch yourself daydreaming when, you, when you're tired, daydreaming, you're daydreaming about anything or everything, whatever else. That that's not a bad thing. And sometimes you're aware of it, and you can kind of change the pictures or whatever's going on. And you're running through a field, and next you're swimming at the beach. You know, you can change actively change your dreams. Uh, that's not a bad thing. Uh, it's not spiritual. It's not bad. It's not wicked. Um, so yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Artist says, can one bless their home with anointing oil? Uh, you can, but the oil does literally nothing. Um, oil is oil, and oil isn't magical. There's no magical uh, supernatural properties of oil. The oil does nothing. You could literally dump 100,000 gallons of olive oil on your house, and it would do literally nothing. It's the act of faith, of believing faith, of prayer that, that deals with things. Uh, and you could fill your house with Bibles and crosses and oil and all the stuff, and it would do nothing. It's the act of believing faith, uh, and trusting the Lord, calling upon him in prayer. That's what does it. Um, and you say, I hear noises uh, at night around 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. Yeah, I don't doubt that. That's probably... Uh, any anything from house settling to natu to natural sounds of house shifting it gets windy makes the house creak uh sh shifts in the atmosphere of uh, a cold front or hot front comes in and it makes material swell and shrink and makes noises everything from that to rats mice squirrels chipmunks raccoons moving around to even it can be supernatural the thing is it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's a mouse or a devil it's irrelevant to us they have no power over us they mean nothing to us and when it happens we rebuke it and move on 
Now you can pray over your house, over your property, and you, uh, in faith, you give it to the Lord, and 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 anything that would happen to be in the vicinity, you'd rebuke it. You are not allowed here, and you call upon the Lord, and you ask the Lord to see to seal and co and comfort and protect and fight for you. And sometimes the enemy goes away, sometimes they don't. Sometimes, as Jesus says, some of these come not up by prayer and fasting. Sometimes it may take a little bit more. Uh, but again, we don't fear, we don't worry, we don't doubt, we don't stress, we don't fret. This is what the Lord says, and all victory is given to him. Uh, so yeah, it it's real. Uh, it happens to me all the time. Uh, the enemy troubles me all the time in manifestations and noises and stuff. And I just, it's like a fly. When a fly's buzzing around, swat it, just ignore it, move on. You rebuke it, move move on. Uh, and you uh, call upon the Lord to help you and to drive these things away. And they go away sometimes for a while, and then they come back. We see it in Matthew chapter 4, in the temptation in the wilderness. Satan came and tempted Jesus, and Jesus rebuked him once, twice, three times. And then it says, Satan then departed from him for a season. And they'll do that. They go away for a while, and then they come back. And they trouble them. This is where you beat them again. They go away, and then they come back. It's a back and forth. So you just buckle down. Be ready for the long, drawn-out war. We win battles, and in, and in the end, we see the Lord wins the war. Uh, we are winning skirmishes, and it's the con constant skirmishes that come up. The skirmishes either of the flesh, of the devils, or of the world. We win skirmishes uh, uh, with our eyes on the end when God wins the war. All right, so worry not, fear not. Okay. Okay. Um, Kimba says, what about... What about CERN? Speaking of opening portals, do you think it's a way of demons? No. You don't open spirit portals with technology. Uh, crashing atoms, crashing neutrons, or whatever it is that they're doing, doesn't open demon portals. That's a bunch of hokum. That's a bunch of nonsense. CERN isn't opening the bottomless pit. That's that's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, and you building machinery and technology and electricity and crashing atoms doesn't conjure demons. That's People who literally know nothing about science and technology and nothing about biblical spirituality are, are creating wacky fairy tales. Remember we talked earlier about the fae and the fairies and fairy tales and what it actually is? CERN opening the bottomless pit and conjuring demons is a bunch of fairy tales. That's all it is. It's, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's Dr. Seuss. It's people who know nothing about what they're talking about trying to figure out what's going on. So don't even worry about it. It's a bunch of scientists crashing atoms to try to figure out stuff that they know nothing about. And they're just kind of mashing nature together, trying to figure out what's going to happen. Um, like taking two different colors of Play-Doh and mashing it together to see what color and what shape comes out of it. That's all they're doing. That, that doesn't conjure... Mashing Play-Doh doesn't conjure demons. So CERN is nothing. It, it, they're not going to destroy the world because we know what's going to happen. We know what does happen. So because we know what does happen, we know what's not going to happen. So yeah. Uh, don't worry about it. Um... All right, going down through... Okay, artist says, okay, I feel like I bought a cursed item from a thrift store. Candles. Uh, candles aren't cursed. 
um, unless the candles themselves have specifically been used in occultic rituals if they're just you just bought candles that that's they're they're candles um don't worry about it. if you feel like there's something wrong about it, pray over it Lord, I don't know what, what's involved with this thing. Uh, 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 something feels off. Lord, would you please, uh, in the name of Christ, by the Spirit of Christ, by the blood of Christ, would you please cleanse this thing? And if there is anything wrong, would you please remove it? Uh, my sole intention is just a candle. That's all it is. Lord, please help me, protect me. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Done. There you go. Don't worry about it. It's candles. Candles are candles. Candles are candles. That's all they are. They're candles. It's a bunch of wax with a wick. So it's meant that you can light the wick and have a flame to throw some light. And that's all it is. It's a decoration. It's a candle for light. That's all it is. Uh, don't worry about it. Now that is different. There are occultic candles. Um, these are ones made specifically for occultic purposes. Like, for example, uh, you see like the Roman Catholic candles that they're made with the image in the written stuff. This one's for Mary, and this one's for this person, and this one's for this angel, and this one's for that. And okay, that there's something wrong with that. Um, or if you go to say a new age occult shop and you buy their specific special black candles for conjuring, that's different. But if you're just going to the dollar store and you buy some candles, that that's their candles. That's all they are. But if you feel uncomfortable, just pray over it. It's it's just a candle. Sometimes. Um, the enemy can get in our mind to, to make us doubt things, fear things, uh, just be, feel bad sensations. Feelings and sensations are irrelevant. And this is the big thing that we also need to really understand. Your feelings are completely irrelevant. Your sensations are completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what I think. It, it doesn't matter. What we want to pay attention to is reality of facts facts of the matter so when it comes to dollar stores thrift stores you go in there and you're buying stuff you're aware of what you're buying and what your intentions are for it and this is why you always pray over stuff before you bring it home anyways so superstitions are irrelevant feelings and sensations are irrelevant so yeah don't need to worry about what does the word of god say what is the faith about what is actual reality by biblical faith so there you go um, any other comments, questions, issues, insights before we wrap this up? Anything else at all in your heart and your mind? Um, be glad to hear from you. Okay, now, reality, reality as, as it is, is more than, than what we feel, what we think. It's more than than what other people feel and think. It's more than what other people have written in books or whatever. Reality is this: that we see that um, in our in our reality is we, we see angels, demons, God, the devil, heaven, hell, the the spiritual supernatural realm. There's the powers of God and the powers of the enemy, and these things are, are, affect us in our physical reality. So there's the spirituality and the physical reality, and we see. It comes down to obedience of the things of God or obedience of the things of the enemy. And it's choice. It's choice. And this is why we see in scripture as in everything that you do, even in the most mundane 
Things you do even without thinking. Most mundane, like eating and drinking. And eating or drinking. And eating or drinking do all to the glory of God. Mindfulness of the Lord. This is Christ mindfulness. Mindfulness of the Lord in everything that you do. And you give it to the Lord. Um, and obedience to the Lord, upon the Lord, that if there is something com comes up that is not good, the Lord will convict you on it. He will show you it. He will guide you in what is right. He, uh, the, the scriptures will pop up in your mind and he, he will show you. So this is why we don't worry because the Lord will tell us. The Lord will show us by his word. And we study the scriptures to become more uh, knowledgeable and understanding of the scriptures. And the Lord helps us. We walk by grace and not by law. So yeah. Okay. Um, artist says, why is it so hard to get a response from God? Can I ask him to reveal himself to me? I would love a sign and affirmation. Why do people in the occult get signs and receive things ASAP? But with God, it takes decades to get a response. Bible says, ask, you shall receive. So can I ask God to show me things? For what purpose? You see, we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, the enemy does that because, yes, they want you to doubt God because it's easier to do what is wrong than to do what is right. And the enemy, as we see in Daniel chapter 10, will even go to lengths as we see what they've did with him. And by temptation and trouble and trying, they deliberately blockade. They blockade against your prayers. They blockade. As you see, Daniel called upon the Lord and he didn't get an answer. And it was 21 days later, an angel finally came to Daniel and told him, the Lord heard you on day one. But as I was coming to bring your answer, that the enemy withstood me, fought against me, resisted me for 21 days until Michael came and fought with me against them. And now I am here for your request. That enemy deliberately will blockade your prayers to make you doubt, fear, disbelieve, grow tired of God. That's why they do that. And the enemy will give you snappy answers to satiate your flesh. You'll notice that it's different in the lust of the flesh. With the flesh lusts after, the enemy will absolutely, without uh, in the blink of an eye, will answer anything for the satiation of your flesh. For your flesh's lusts. And the flesh has no patience. Wants it now. Wants it now. And we see the difference is, is going to McDonald's versus sitting down and ordering at a fancy restaurant or making dinner yourself. It takes time. Patience, humility, meekness. The Lord rewards. But the pe what people want is fast food, junk food. And that's what the devil rewards. No patience. Right here, right now. All about me, my feelings. I want my feelings, my satiation, my desires. I want, I want, I want. So when we come down to it, and what sometimes what some Christians try to do is they try to bring this impatience into Christianity. I want God to answer me now. I want, I want, I want want what about what god wants maybe god wants you to wait maybe because patience breeds righteousness breeds experience breeds hope patience is is a virtue of the fruits of the spirit and people who are impatient lose faith in god but i want it now maybe god wants you to wait think about that he does answer swiftly he does answer quickly he answers when he wants to answer i can't dictate the speed of god and he does not operate by our clocking calendar he operates in his time he does what he wants and we can't tell him what to do but i want god to do this and do this for me i want him to manifest i want why hold up hold up why 
Is your faith dependent upon sight and experience of it? Because you do realize if, say, if you did, let's say you did have a vision, wonderful vision. What happens in a week? It, it fades. It no longer has as depth of a meaning and experience in a week, in a month, in a year. And so you see seeing and feeling and experiencing and sensing is irrelevant. God doesn't teach us and instruct us by experiences, but by belief of truth. I'm not saying experiences don't happen. They absolutely do. I'm not a cessationist. Uh, but the point is, is that God doesn't speak to us by experience. He speaks to us by the word of God. Are you pouring as much passion into desire of experiences as you are into your studies of the word of God? Are you praying and sending the word and preaching and teaching and witnessing and serving the Lord as yacht, as a servant of God, as much as you are desiring experiences? If they happen, they happen, but if they don't, they don't. And experiences are irrelevant. They really are. Answered prayer is miracles and signs and wonders. And seeing people saved is the greatest of all miracles. Is your desire to see souls saved as, as strong or stronger than your desire to have supernatural signs and wonders? So, we see God works in patience and humility. God works in his timing and by, by how he wants. How he, how he knows what is best for us. The child, the child wants the chocolate bar right now. But the parent says, no, you got to wait. We're going to be eating in 30 minutes. You got to have dinner. And then after, then you can have it. But I want it now. Why, why would you just give it to me now? The chocolate bar comes when the parent dictates. Not when we want it. See, we're children. We are absolutely 100% children. He is our parent, he's our father, and he knows what's best, he knows when it is best, he knows when it's the most opportune time of the most opportune moment. The devil will give you the chocolate bar whenever you want. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your health. He doesn't care about your spiritual health. He doesn't care about your logic, your reason, your mind, your feelings. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care if you live or die. He'll give you whatever you want if you would just lose patience with God. If you would corrupt yourself, he'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He'll do anything and everything that you want. Anything you feel, anything you want. As long as you won't listen to your parents. But what do the parents say? Don't take, don't take candy from strangers. And God is the one who, who is the one who disperses out the benefits of the, of i.e. the candy of the faith, which is the experiences. He's, one that, he's the one that, that, that uh, gives these out. We don't summon them, conjure them, control them, dictate them. We don't tell God what to do. He doesn't obey us. He doesn't obey us. We obey him. And when we obey him, then he'll reward when he sees fit. Do the parents give the children chocolate bars and junk food every day? No. On the occasion, once in a while, sometimes even at the grocery store. Oh, can I have that? Can I have that? What of that? No, not today. Not today, but I want, that's not fair. How come Timmy gets one over there? That's him. This is you. The parent calls the shot. Once in a while, the parent rewards and allows, uh, but not always, not always. The desire of actively, deliberately seeking experiences goes to show the weakness of personal believing faith because the Lord says, blessed are those who have not seen 
can't yet believe. If you lose faith and your faith gets dried up and you get frustrated, God, because you're not seeing, that shows you don't have faith. I'm not saying that's the case with you. I'm saying in general, this is what it leads to. This is what it leads to. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Is your faith as strong in God, even if you never see or experience anything for the rest of your life? Think about it. Is your faith just as strong in Christ, if even if you never see or experience anything for the rest of your life? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That doesn't mean God won't let you see. It just means it's not important. What's, what's most important, what's more important, is believing, even not seeing. Well, I don't see, I haven't seen, experienced any of the miracles in the Bible and all this stuff, but do you believe it, though? Yeah, I believe it. Why come I can't see it? Ask God. He might, he might not. But again, he's the authority, he's the parent, he's the father, we're the child, he calls the shots. So we need to trust his timing, trust him that maybe, if need be, see, see, God knows if there is a need. If there is a need and you and and uh, and an experience like this, something might grab your attention, spark your attention, and help you in your faith or whatever, well then he very well may. But God doesn't do flippant things. God doesn't work flippantly. He doesn't work flippantly. He has deliberate purpose. And there is a reason why he doesn't sometimes. Why he doesn't give us experiences and things. So sometimes he doesn't. And here's the other thing. Not all experiences that do that do happen are of God. Satan can appear as an angel of light. And his ministers can appear as ministers of righteousness. Not all experiences that people have are of God. So just some thought. Uh, and there is nothing that we can do. There is literally nothing that we can do that would make God give us or disperse us experiences and things. Experiences are 100% irrelevant. Utterly irrelevant. You could have the most mind-blowing vision of heaven, all this other kind of stuff, incredible experience. And what will that do in the long run? All experiences fade away. But what never fades away? This. Word of God. Truth. Truth. The promises, the warnings, the truth, the righteousness... The teachings, the doctrine, the theology of what is, this is reality, this is truth, this is all that that that, that is relevant, this is what is important. We got to be careful about elevating experiences as equal to the word of God or surpassing it. Our faith is in the written. Our faith is in the dictates. Our faith is in the doctrine. Our faith is in, is in what, well, as Jesus says, it is written. It is written. This is what, what our hope and faith and everything is in. Not this. Not the experiences. The experiences are a byproduct. They're a second thought. They're something that may or may not happen. And even if it does or doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, if it does, that's cool. That's awesome. Amazing. Wonderful. Blessed be. But I don't need it. Do you need a chocolate bar? No. You need a meal.
and we feast of the word of God, not on the senses. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, artist says, people who are not with God are truly blessed, but they say they don't have God in their life. Once they have all they want, that they can re repent and find God. I'm not sure, sure what that was meaning. Um, but yeah, so you see what I'm talking about. You see what I'm saying. But it's literally what it is, is you see a feasting of the word of God. Feasting of the word of God. It's a feast. It's a banquet. It's our meal. It's our dinner. It's what feeds our soul. Experiences are like spiritual junk food. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an excitement of a moment that fades away. But it's the truth uh, of the of the dictates of the word of God that feed our soul, that give a, give us that, that long nourishment. The difference between a steak and a chocolate bar. Um, the steak is the word of God. Which would you rather? Which is more needful? Sure, the chocolate bar tastes amazing. The sugar, and you get a buzz from it. But it fades. The, the the food the dinner plate of the steak steak dinner that that it, it, there's a deeper nourishment from it last uh, it stays with us longer and is long lasting and it's more beneficial to us in health and it, it strengthens us and heals us it helps us it, it, it fills us properly see that's how I've always looked at it that's how I've always seen it that's how I've always described it is that experiences is spiritual junk food um, and it fades it, it's forgotten and like I've had many experiences before um, and the feeling the sensation the stirrings of it when it happened I don't feel it anymore I have a vague recollection of it and but it, it doesn't stir me and sometimes you even forget there, there are experiences that I have had I don't even remember anymore. I don't even remember the details. I can't even really remember it anymore. Um, but I remember what the Word of God says. And the promises of God, that, that the truths of the written Word of God stick with me and I never forget. He says His Word will always remain. His Word will not re return void. His Word will teach us and help us always. I never forget the, the truth of the word of God, the promises of God, and they mean more to me than any experience. So what means most to you? Sure, it'd be great to have, to have uh, experiences, but it's not necessary. And so, so you serve the Lord. Do what the Lord says, pick up your cross, follow Christ. And if you happen to have experience, awesome. If you don't, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Let's think about that. All right, let's move on. Okay, we'll have to uh, wrap this up soon. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so, and, and exactly, artists, that, that's exactly my point. You see, because they had no patience in God. They wouldn't sit down and wait and listen to, to, to their father. They wouldn't listen to God. So they so they went and they took candy from the stranger. You see what happened there? And now, where is that person now? What happened to their faith now? That, that Because doing that destroys them. Seeking after experiences and stuff destroys your faith. You want to seek after the word of God. 
If you seek after experiences, the devil will reward you because you're not you're putting the authority of the word of God at, at, at first in your life. You're putting other things. So you see what happens. Exactly. The devil wants you to listen to your flesh. The flesh lusts. And the flesh is desires of experiences, sensationalism. God wants you to sit down and have the slow, methodical feasting of the word. All right. All right, so... um. Yeah, so there you go. So I hope that wraps that one up there. Any other comments, questions, issues, insights before we wrap this up? So again, please go, go back and re-watch this broadcast. We talked about all kinds of different stuff, some really interesting stuff. Um, uh, dinosaurs and dragons and unicorns and all kinds of other stuff and uh, joking about evolution. And we talked about some some, some other studies that, that I brought up here and about rekindling faith and um, baptismal regeneration. So talking about a bunch of stuff here. So I hope that this has been a help and a blessing and a comfort to you. If you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give this a thumbs up and make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell icon. So you know when we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other content. Um, so yeah, um, there's a good one. At, at 3G304 says, name one thing you are grateful for today. I'm grateful that I can sit here and talk about the word of God with other saints that love the word of God. That's one thing I'm very grateful for. So what's something you're grateful for? So there's, uh, as the Bible talks about count your blessings, you know, that's something that is good every day. Mindfulness of the Lord and the ways of the Lord, the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ every day. Do you thank him for breakfast? Oh, we do that instinctually. We pour our cereal in the milk and hold the bowl. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. No. Do you ever think about that? He is the one that gave you your cereal, literally. God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gave you your clothes, your home, your car. He gave you the ability to put gas in your car. He made the gas. He made the gas station. The material that made up the gas station, he made. The, the dirt you're walking on, he made. Did you thank him for your feet? You thank him for thank him for your arms, your hands, your tongue, your eyes. The reason you can see, hear, smell is because he allows you. Think about it. Are you truly, honestly thankful for all the things that the Lord has blessed you with? Family, friends, work, job, money, uh, where you are, a home, roof over your head. You go to the beach today, you thank him for the blessing and the joy of being able to go to the beach and have a fun day. Go to the park, you have a dog, cat, bird, whatever, snake, fish, I don't care. What pets do you have? He, that, that This is a blessing from God in your life. Are you thankful? Do you, did you thank him? Count your blessings. How many things has he done for you in the past? Answered prayers. Where you are today, he helped you get there. Look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. You see all the hand of God in your life. Are you thankful? You're truly thankful. Give that some thought. Um, yeah, this is M Mrs. G. Okay, yeah. How's it going? The artist says, I'm, I'm grateful that I woke up today and had an awesome breakfast from what God created, the grain of the earth. Amen. Amen. Kimberly says, this is without a doubt the best response explanation for experiences of God or the desire for them I have ever heard or ever could hope to hear. Thank you, Brother Matt. <laughs> well, again, it... 
to see what is the word of God says what is most important and the and the applications of the parental child relationship that is seen is seen in scripture and and what we see in the physical is often a reflection of what is spiritual we see God creates and things imitate that we are the imitation that we're to imitate so we see even in, in family order and construct God talks about reading his word as in eating a dinner so when you put all these pictures together and you see it it's literally what it is we see what is healthy what is unhealthy what is good what is bad what is righteous what is unrighteous and we see that things that are not necessary are not necessarily bad but aren't just aren't really that necessary it's okay for example we have feasting and dinner and food in the spiritual life okay then what is the junk food of the spiritual life things that that are not bad and but and still not good and just not necessary things that fade away and so put all together so many so many christians fail to see that picture of the physical is is a image of the spiritual when we see what is on the spiritual and what is on the physical and we see the order and structure put it together he is our father we're his children literally so then how does this interact okay where, where's our house if he's our father we're his children where's our house where's our clothing where's our food where's our fun can christians have fun yeah, absolutely. God loves to laugh. He's the God of joy. <laughs> He's the God of joy. Jesus wasn't some long, long-faced, super somber person that went along. No, Jesus had a sense of humor. He liked to, he liked to laugh and joke and have fun and party. He went to banquets and feasts and parties. You think Jesus just stood off the side and just watched everyone just kind of scowling? No, he was in there. He, they got up and danced. He was dancing. He was eating. He was having fun. He, he was with the people. He loved to be with the people. He loved laughter. And, and he sent the child. He loves children. He loves people. We see the humor of God, the fun of God. And so we see how, how a loving, joyful, fun parent that, that teaches also can be serious and also can discipline. And, and we see the seriousness of God. There's also the joy of God. The levity of God it, it, it just as we see in the physical it's in the spiritual so this also really helps us in seeing this picture this really helps us in our in our faith sometimes the, our faith dries up when we when we fail to remember the simple things the simplicity of what it really is so yeah Uh, artist says okay uh, artist blessed are you lord our god king of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth blessed are you lord our god king of the universe who created the fruit of the vine amen i'm thankful for the gift of god gave us like wine to enjoy his creation right exactly amen uh also grateful uh uh, uh 304 says also grateful at a fourth of july parade my son was given a, a bible kgv bible from a lady he is not a candy kid, and this was such a surprise. Ah, you see, luck, chance, coincidence don't exist. Luck, chance, coincidence doesn't exist. Why do you think that happened? He was so excited. God is moving in amazing ways to in, my, in my son. Exactly. So you see, you see that that was there's no such thing as luck no such thing as chance no such thing as coincidence think about it 
I prayed and asked the Lord, and, and just by chance, I happened, by luck and coincidence, that this happened. No, it's direct involvement of God. There you go. There you go. All right, so what a way to end the broadcast. We're going to wrap it up there. This is a great way to, to end it for today. So I hope that this has been a great blessing to you. How long have we been going? Three hours, 14, or 15 minutes. <laughs> okay, so there it goes. So this has been a while. So this has been great. Uh, wonderful time. Great way to end the week. So there you go. Uh, so I hope if you are able to, if you're physically abled, get yourself out to church tomorrow. Get yourself out to church if there is none around and you can't do it, then make sure you have a time of worship and praise and study with the Lord tomorrow. Make sure you do. Your flesh will make every excuse. There will be every excuse will come up from people, person, thing, whatever will try to get in the way to cause trouble, to get to make it so you forget you're too busy or you get distracted. Make it determined effort, determined reason to spend some quality time with the Lord tomorrow no if and what's or buts no question do it get yourself down on your knees and serve the lord worship the lord praise the lord let the praises ring serve the lord with song and watch the joy of the lord build in your life this is how you rekindle the faith this is how you do it so all right there you go so I'll wrap it up there thank you so much for joining in folks make sure you give us a like and a subscribe leave a comment and like i said all comments are held for review you put your comment up i'll put be putting it up we just want to make sure you get rid of the the trolls stupid comments but yeah leave a comment and like subscribe and check out our other stuff we got tons and tons of other playlists tons of other goodies as well as check out our website christiancoffeetime.ca links to all our other platforms and links to also our podcasts so some people just don't have time to watch the videos, but they want to hear the content. We upload all of our videos as podcasts, MP3 podcasts, so you can listen in and all those studies and stuff as you go along. And with that, I also want to just, uh, just very quickly, just give you something else to make you rejoice. Something else to be really excited about. Our podcasts are reaching the world. <laughs> I never expected it to go like this but the lord works in ways uh just his ways our the christian coffee time podcasts have reached united states argentina australia canada netherlands romania united kingdom sweden belgium ireland greece germany bulgaria brazil Portugal, Finland, New Zealand, Philippines, Norway, Guam, and Spain. <laughs> the word of God is reaching the whole world. So keep praying. Keep praying that we reach the whole world. We would love to see it to reach every corner of the earth, of every continent. We'd love to see that the word of God get to all the world. That'd be so amazing. So keep praying. Keep serving the Lord. And keep praying for this ministry to flourish, that the more people would hear the word of God, we'd see revivals break out, the saints strengthened, we see the, the backsliders come back to the Lord, we see we see the, the sinners become saints. Keep praying, keep serving, keep worshiping, keep holding on, keep fighting the faith. It, equip yourself, be strong, stand your ground, serve the Lord. Rejoice always, be not ashamed. So with that, I wrap that up there. God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. 
Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless. Thank you.